and gentlemen, your attention, please. Just a catching yeah. strays over here. <laughs> You're in for a hell of a show. Keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. It's time for our main event. <laughs> How you gentlemen doing back Smug, in the studio? what do you got for us? Well, let me tell you, we've had a hell of a day here in Des Moines. It is freezing in Iowa. And by freezing, I mean, you know, 10 to 15 degrees below zero. Um, but we're out here for, for our listeners. We're out here to show the folks what's happening here on the ground. I mean, I, so here's the thing. I can't hear. I've been told that the weather is so cold that we actually don't have incredible data mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. and we've invested in the best. The lines are frozen. But the lines are frozen, and and I can see Smug, and look at him. I mean, he looks like an abominable snowman uh, from Mumbai. He looks fantastic. <laughs> can they pick it up now? There there I he can is. hear you. I can hear okay, you. there we go. Hey, hey, hey folks. Hey, Smug. coming to you live from Des Moines, Iowa. How are you guys doing in the studio? I mean, you look great. I'm doing fantastic, pal. I got, I got to let you know, I have a perfect steak here, medium rare. It's nice. It's probably 72 degrees, 72 degrees right. well, in, I'll in here. Enjoy mm. that on me, fellas. Mm. I was happy to do this for our listeners. I'll take the brunt of it, and I was happy to hit the road and show the folks what's going on here in Iowa. Well, I mean, he's done such a good job, and he's been all over the place. I really got a hats off for Smug, and that outfit is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think, Wolf, if we can go to Smug outside. You want me to do uh, a hit from outside? Because it's, yeah. I mean, it's literally negative, like, 15 degrees out there. Yeah, let's get him out of that hotel I'll, lobby. I'll do a hit from outside. I don't care. I'll do a hit from outside. All right, let's give it a minute. Let's give it a minute. You go dark there, and we'll talk amongst ourselves. Uh, fellas... Look, this is a really big deal. We've spent the last, I don't know, 12 months, nine months uh, working on how it is that we get to a point where voters are actually casting ballots in this election. Mm -hmm. Everybody's talked about it. We started about January where Ron DeSantis comes off of this huge election victory and everybody thought that he was kind of the heir apparent to the Trump deal trump gets back in the race obviously things change once the indictments happen and nine months later it feels like we've been doing this for four years doesn't it yeah it does and it feels like there's been a lot of turns to this whole narrative over time and then nikki haley had her surge um i don't know i mean we're finally going to get to a little bit of ground truth of what's happening in this election and and i also think um, you know, this weather might sort of shake things up. It it might. I mean, look, that's what you're going to get everywhere else, right? There's yeah. the weather. Oh my God, the weather. The journos hate the weather. Yeah. By the way, they can't. They can't stand it. But from my perspective, this is what us in the Midwest have done for yep. ever. Right. You show up. Like, you're not going to stop buying groceries. You're not going to stop living life because the weather is... That's what it's like in Iowa. Right, right. That's what it's like in Iowa on this date in January. Let me tell you what the mainstream media hasn't been telling you over the last few years. And 
what the mainstream media has been telling you over the last few years is is all about all Trump, his personality, the the election, every ev- everything that is not related to his accomplishments over the four years that he was president of the United States, which is what voters are interested in. What has Biden done versus what has Trump done? That's number one, okay? Number two is what is Trump's team doing on the ground to turn out their voters? They are so well organized and nobody's writing about that again because all they care about is what's what's the latest criminal indictment, what's the latest like court case. They, there is there is such a focus on what the mainstream media is interested in that it it clouds the reality that Republican voters are looking at, which is how do we get somebody in charge who can beat Joe Biden and reflect what it is that we want to do in the White House? And they seem to be saying that Donald Trump is that guy. Well, let me set the stage real quickly before we go back to Spug, who I'm, I'm told is, is set up outside. What we're dealing with is President Trump, who's had a commanding lead in Iowa for months and months and months and months. And that part has never been wa- never wavered. Yeah. Right. Not even a little bit. Ron DeSantis had a strong foothold there, invested heavily there and said that this is the spot where he's really going to make a charge against President Trump, knowing that if you break the air of inevitability on President Trump Mm -hmm. very early on, that there's a chance they could steamroll into some kind of a nomination for Ron DeSantis. Interestingly, along the way, um, his campaigns had some, some problems, and Nikki Haley filled some of that void with a whole bunch of people who were not dissatisfied with the job that Donald Trump did, but ultimately were looking for something different and wanted to go in a different direction. We'll see. You've seen some polls that showed that her leading Ron DeSantis. We're going to break all that down for you in the course of this show. But I think the important part is we got to go back to smug and see what it looks like outside in Des Moines. Alrighty, folks, this is Smug, live from Iowa, where it is freezing, freezing cold. How cold? Negative 10 degrees cold, folks. But that isn't stopping the Iowa caucuses. Tonight is the first step Republicans take to decide who is going to take on Joe Biden and take the White House back for America. You are tuned in to the Ruthless live stream. I'm here all, all day to report on this. It's going to be amazing. I mean, what a stuff. <laughs> The hood, the hood is so good. The hood, he's in the hood. He looks, he looks like he belongs in a Bond movie. I know he's like a snow bunny ready for opera ski. It's incredible. <laughs> I love it so much. The white, the white, the white, the white. Oh, dude, the white. I love. The, I mean, look, hats off. To yeah, smug yeah. for going and, and braving the elements. Yeah. And he's been talking shit to journos all day long all day. Uh, because he's been out filming all kinds of different things hold across on, the hold entire. Hold on, I got I to eat some more of my steak. Oh, here. you should you should dig in. You Poor should dig smug in. is out there braving the elements, and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to eat a steak to let him know what he's missing. You should. You should. But let's set the stage. Um, Wolf, if you wouldn't mind putting up.
the link that we sent you, it was the New York Times link that showed what the 2016 caucuses were like. I think that this is a good guide for some of what you might see tonight because history repeats itself in many ways. What you're seeing from different candidates is different constituencies within the Republican Party come to formulate a decision once and for all about who they ultimately take out of Iowa. Much of what Iowa is is a winner, clearly, but much of it is expectations. Yeah. And what you can use those expectations to springboard into New Hampshire, South Carolina, and beyond. Whether you survive Iowa is a big deal. But if you look at this map, what we're dealing with is three candidates at the top here. And and Ramaswamy is the fourth, mm-hmm. which may play a very real factor in a number of these areas. But this is the way that I look at it. The way that I look at it is Ted Cruz won the Iowa caucus in 2016. Ron DeSantis has run a very similar, if not the exact same, campaign as Ted Cruz ran. There is not a dime's worth of difference between what they tried to do in 2016 for Ted Cruz and what ultimately the strategy was for Ron DeSantis, yeah, DeSantis in, right. in, in 2016. Right. And if you can see the yellow on the map to your left that you're looking at right now, those are all the counties that were carried by Ted Cruz. If you look at uh, vote-rich areas, I would focus on Cedar Rapids, for example. That's going to be Lynn County. That is an area where you're over-indexing on conservative, conservative, conservative. Right where the Ted Cruz's obviously did well in 2016, and that's where Ron DeSantis thinks that he needs to do extremely well in order to get, you know, win or, or, or come within spitting distance of Donald, Donald Trump here in, in 24. Fellas, what do we think about that? Well, I think uh, the weather is going to be really interesting in this, and I know that sounds sort of glib and... You know, I mean, I think what Ron DeSantis needs is to be a very commanding second in a lot of these rural districts, these small counties, to offset what I expect Nikki Haley will do in Des Moines, Iowa City, the college town stuff, yeah. right? And um, if turnout is 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 down because of the weather, uh, his ability to offset some of her advantage in the more suburban areas will be depleted. Um, so, you know, I, I know he has a very organized ground game and a lot of caucus commitments, but ultimately at the end of the day, like he needs to figure out a way in all these rural areas to be able to preserve his place in second to offset what Nikki, I assume will do in the suburbs. Yeah. I, here, here's the thing. I think we're in a situation where governor DeSantis had his chance in Iowa. He had a huge Uh, advertising spend he spent a ton of money on paid door knocking and i just think it's going to come up way short because what donald trump has done in the state is rely on volunteer door knocking and rely on what he did when he was president as opposed to the pay you're talking about so for our listeners who haven't followed ruthless all the way through but are tuning in tonight 
the difference in the strategy of all of these campaigns is significant in Iowa, where uh, Ron DeSantis went in with a, an extremely heavy paid door knocking campaign where they put a lot of bodies that they employed in the super PAC to go out and knock doors and advocate on behalf of Ron DeSantis. Uh, Nikki Haley, as we'll hear in our interview uh, momentarily, had like one paid staffer right. until the right. debates, and then it ballooned out, and they got AFP and a whole bunch of others that added to that. Uh, Donald Trump, all-volunteer task force here right. that were self-selecting that ultimately went out and, and did all of this. Right, and we've worked on a number of campaigns in our 20 years in this industry, and what we have found is that a volunteer army is the most motivated and most persuasive type of army available. You cannot pay people to come in from out of state and knock doors and expect peop and expect somebody answering the door knock to think, Oh, well, this person has my best interest in mind. They're from seven states over. Well, I think all that's true. I, I would countervail it in one way, and that is if you look at any of these polls, the, even the polls where Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis is in third, if you look in the his cohort of voters, they're the most enthusiastic to caucus and the most committed to him as a candidate. I have to think in an environment like this where the weather is bad and we expect the turnout will be down versus some previous caucuses that the most, convi the most convicted voters, the ones who show up, are ultimately going to decide this caucus. And I think that has to benefit him over some of his rivals. I mean, you know, back to the, the Steve Peoples piece from the Associated Press that we talked about on the show uh, last week. A lot of these people who are, are caucusing for Donald Trump, even some of the caucus captains, are first-time caucus goers, right? And, uh, you know, I understand he has a much stronger ground game than he had in 2016, no doubt. 100% he has a, a very serious operation in the state of Iowa. But um, when it ultimately what it comes down to in Iowa is 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 having folks who have that muscle memory of going to the caucus showing up and going in and yep. and voting and I think that benefits DeSantis over not just uh Trump but also Nikki who I think her coalition is more independent voters than some well, Democrats. Well that's that is why they have yeah. confidence in that. Um look I think we should start with Trump because look nobody has doubted whether Trump is going to win right the Iowa caucus you look at his numbers from 2016, you can add a third to that mm -hmm. in support almost in every county that we're talking about. We'll see that as the results come in. But I think a good place to start is perhaps an interview that we did with Chris Lasavita, which, again, look, only in the Ruthless Variety program are you getting Lasavita, Phil Cox from the DeSantis campaign, and Betsy Ankney from the Haley campaign. I mean, these are, this is the only spot they're doing the interviews. Yeah, no, this is, this is exactly right. No, no network coverage of this sort of uh, content has these people. And I, I just, I think this is one more reason why you gotta watch the Ruthless Variety program. That's why you tune in. I think we should go first to Trump and Chris Acevedo. Wolf, if we can cue that up, please. I want to welcome to the program a senior advisor to President Trump and longtime friend Chris Lasavita. Chris, thank you so much for coming today. 
John. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. You know, we have talked a lot in the past about uh, your team in Iowa and how, you know, just the size and the scope of the organization, which a lot of people, I don't think, have a clear understanding of. So I'm wondering if you could just tell our audience a little bit about what you guys built in in Iowa. Yeah, no, great. Uh, Sure. So, um, well, basically, the the way the operation has been set up, you know, it's obviously it's a, a team of about 15, 17 people um, that have been here on the ground for, you know, seven months. Um, it's led by uh, Alex Latcham, um, who used to be at the White House political back in the day. In 2016, he was actually the political director at the state GOP in Iowa and was responsible for running the caucus. So he has institutionally a, a pretty good idea of how it's done. So um, and then, you know, we've built out the team. Uh, Alex Meyer and, and Marshall Moreau uh, constitute, along with Alex Latcham, the, the leadership, if you will, on the ground. And um, <clears throat> uh, Eric Hollander is a, a, a South Carolinian who knows the state pretty well, has also been inside. So it's been a really good operation, essentially built around um, instead of, you know, I know a lot of people want a different route, which was just knocking on doors. Um, uh, you know, they weren't, they can tell you they knocked on a million doors, but they can't tell you um, how many conversions they've had, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the conversion rate is what matters if you're going to spend that kind of effort and money into that. We actually put together a operation that is run by volunteers, by neighborhood. Um, and we, you know, the precinct captains, uh, there's essentially over 1,600 uh, individual. Um, caucus locations where the voting will take place tonight and we have over 2,000 caucus captains so it, literally every wow. single caucus site will have someone from our operation <clears throat> there to not only represent the president uh, speak on the campaign's behalf but also ensure that it's being run correctly it's being run smoothly uh, make sure they have materials those kinds of things um, but each one of the caucus captains was also tasked with finding 10 to 20 individuals that came from a a targeted list of people that we had uh, based off of our modeling. Their job was to secure their attendance at each caucus. Mm. Um, So it it was, you know, you can do a lot on TV and do a lot, you know, in the mail and phones and texting and online and all this other stuff. But, you know, that person to person contact through volunteers, through people who know the area because they live there. those are things we think that are going to give us a distinct advantage tonight. That, and of course, the intensity level uh, favors, um, you know, the Trump side. I, 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 you know, I woke up this morning and <clears throat> had a good laugh at, at some of the press that I was reading, or like I usually do. Um, it's usually what it's good for most days, <laughs> a good laugh, but <clears throat> a good laugh about, you know, the, the weather affects Trump the most. It's like, you know, give me a damn break. Um, and, 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 you, know, it's, you know, so whatever, um, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, everybody's got to do what they got to do. But that, that was particularly um, amusing. But, um, you know, what they don't understand is the, the level of intensity. I think everybody knows the level of intensity favors the, uh, the president's people, his, you know, his core base of support. Our entire strategy has been built around one goal with one goal in mind is get out the vote. Mm-hmm. That's it. Now you hear that, you hear that. And, you know, there was this new thing at RNC a few years ago where they decided that they would start getting out the vote fucking two weeks before an election. Who does that? <laughs> this is something you got to start as soon as you have your people 
you, who you know your people are. And we've, we've had tons of data. We've had, um, you know, uh, tons of uh, information, the amount of rallies and everything. And what's like, what's the best way to harness the energy uh, that President Trump brings? What's the best way to harness that that energy and utilize it in an electoral sense as opposed to just showing up for a show right at a rally or something mm -hmm. like that so mm -hmm. you know we actually built this system where we have these commit to caucus rallies which were de by design deliberately smaller so that the you know we weren't advertising for people from illinois to show up the focus was people from iowa to show up mm -hmm. and each one of these commit to caucus rallies that we had across the state for the last several months were like little dry caucus runs mm. right and and it was all built around targeting people who we need and needed to show up many of them first-time caucus goers many of them not um you, you know you don't put all your eggs in one basket but we certainly did try to reshape the, the electorate a little bit in the sense of bringing in new people um they're highly motivated um, so, you know, these commit to caucuses were basically built around that. And then, you know, they all signed a piece of paper. They all signed a card mm -hmm. and said, I commit to caucus. And, you know, lo and behold, a couple of weeks ago, we started seeing the sanctimonious campaign and the always back down people um, actually produce commit to caucus cards. Mm -hmm. And then they would have commit to caucus. And then, you know, Nikki, Tricky Nikki is having, you know, her her commit to caucus rallies. And it's just sort of like, I mean, you know, I guess imitation is, in fact, the greatest form of flattery because yeah. they're all copying us. But, um, you know, again, it's it, we've had more than enough people in the bank to win the caucus. It was just a matter of finding the best way, the most intense way to make sure they showed up. And then being prepared for those things that you can't see coming, you know, like, you know, got to 10 degrees below zero and, 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 and frozen blowing snow. Uh, well, and, but and, we've been prepared for that. And volunteers are more likely to show up in that sort of a scenario because they actually are, are personally invested their time and their talent into the can right. candidate. Right. And, you know, as well as I do, there are consultants out there who sell door knocking as a service and they say, oh, volunteers, yes. that just don't doesn't work. And they, they tell these candidates this over and over again. But it, yes. it's that's just not true. Vol a volunteer uh, army of people on the ground can be much, much more persuasive than people who are paid to be there. And you're seeing this in spades in Iowa. Are you are you putting together the same sort of organizations in New Hampshire, in South Carolina, and some of these Super Tuesday states? You know, it's a couple a uh, couple nights ago um, here in Des Moines. I actually uh, did. Our campaign hosted a caucus training seminar for Nevada, mm. which, of course, is before South Carolina, right. so February 6th. So uh, and that's a legit, you know, uh, caucus. And and so, you know, we're always one step ahead. Obviously, caucuses, what you prepare for in a caucus and how you organize for a caucus is different um, than what you would do for a primary. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, the, the premise is still the same. The strategy is still the same. You got to turn your people out. So, uh, as it relates to New Hampshire, I mean, a very aggressive operation on the ground. They're out there banging on doors. They're out there. But again, yes, all 100% volunteer driven. We're utilizing our greatest resource, which is the MAGA base, and mm -hmm. and and utilizing them and having them. And look, you know, when we win the nomination. It's, it's going to be nothing but a benefit 
to the greater Republican Party and for our House races and for our Senate races when we were able to fold these extraordinarily highly motivated volunteers into the party structure and the party system and we can get them everyone is in there working together and i mean you know we could literally put together a massive operation it's just going to roll uh into november because i mean while the goal for us clearly is winning the you know the presidency um you know gee wouldn't it be nice to have a majority in the u.s senate mm-hmm. and uh, a working majority in the u.s senate yeah. and having you know and maintaining a majority in the house so um you know and i think we see great opportunities on, on that front yeah well i mean both of those things are obviously very very important and and getting focused on the general as quickly as possible super important yes. how long do you think some of these other candidates will stay in the race. I a tough question for you to answer, but I mean, do you, do you think that we're going to see some of them start to drop out the way Christie did last week? I mean, maybe after New Hampshire, obviously Nikki looks pretty strong in New Hampshire. Ron DeSantis is saying he's going to spend time in South Carolina, although, you know, he spent a lot of his war chest in Iowa already. So how long, I mean, resources come into play at some point. I mean, how, how long do you think some of these other candidates can, can actually hang on? <clears throat> I think it has a lot to do with what happens tonight. I think that if if uh, if Rob De Sanctimonious, um, I have to be on brand. If he <laughs> places a distant third, he will be stopping in South Carolina on his way home to Tallahassee. Mm. Um, so he'll he'll, he'll be out. Uh, there's just no way that a man with any pride left could stay in after getting his ass shellacked and getting put in the third place, a distant third. Now, if he finishes as an extraordinarily close third or, you know, or he places a surprising second, he stays in. I think if Nikki, um, you know, if you look at her support, it's very, very soft. Uh, As a matter of fact, in the the Des Moines Register poll from over the weekend, one of the things that they talked about was the majority of her voters would never have would never vote for Donald Trump because they're Democrats. So it, it, it and it takes a lot, by the way, to show up at a caucus, change your party registration, change your registration. You have to bring your license and a piece of information from home, like a you know proving proof of residency, mm-hmm. and then hang out with a bunch of Trump Republicans. <laughs> yeah. And, and vote for Nikki Haley. I, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. very, very difficult. So, um, but all that being said, if she places, you know, uh, a third, you know, then we'll battle it out in New Hampshire. And um, that's going to be, you know, we're very well engaged there. But South Carolina, where dreams are, are where people's dreams go to die in <laughs> politics. And, you know, we're going to be very well positioned uh, to to deliver a win in New Hampshire, but also in, in South Carolina. And, and and let's not forget, okay, that in between New Hampshire and South Carolina is Nevada. Mm-hmm. And Nikki can't even compete for one delegate vote. Mm-hmm. Not one. Because she's participating in the state run primary. The party nomination and the, the, the awarding of delegates, if you want a delegate, you have to compete in a caucus. And um, Ron is on made the ballot for the caucus. We, of course, are on the ballot for the caucus. Nikki is going to be on the ballot with Tim Scott and Mike Pence mm. in a primary. Um, and the results of those, uh, the results of that primary will not be known 
until two days after the caucus. Mm. So there is not even a, 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 a PR bounce mm. out of this. And, and she's basically competing against no one. So, um, but yeah, so a lot going on, but, but um, everybody's just, you know, we're, we're very much focused on that. And then again, like I said, some of the, everything is a little different, but I think Ron finishes a distant third. He's, he goes home to Tallahassee. I think that um, if, if he pulls a surprising second, it, it deflates Nikki a little bit. Um, um, and, um, but yeah, it's, it, it should, it should be interesting. We should know probably by, I think maybe 10 o'clock Eastern. Well, let me ask look like. let me ask you, Chris, about one other candidate you haven't mentioned, and it's a guy who got the internet laughing all weekend long. It's Vivek Ramaswamy when President Trump put him oh, in a locker. Yeah, the phony. Yeah, the what? Phony. So I don't remember the president even mentioning this guy in the past. What was the what was the impetus, or what was like what was the moment where he was like, oh, he just got to got to say something about this guy. Um. Well. Let's put it this way. There's this old saying, um, you poke the bear, you're going to get mauled. And um, <laughs> he's in the process of getting his ass mauled. Yeah. Um, this we're, we're talking about, um, you know, Vivek running this campaign all summer long and, and um, uh, you know, kind of clever, youthful, um, trying to bring something new to the table, energetic, you know, all this stuff. It's all talking nice about, you know, Trump and all this other stuff. And and then, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he starts rap, ratcheting up his attacks on President Trump um, in interviews, making, you know, personal attacks, saying he's wounded, he's too old, you know, this sort of crap. Mm. You know, we started noticing that. And, you know, you know, we may have sent messages to some of his people, you know, like uh, you probably ought not. Yeah. You know. Hey, buddy. Be a be, be, you know, you know, back off a little bit, um, and you know, um, and then and then they started putting out, um, you know, their some of their caucus volunteers with T-shirts that said, you know, um, it said uh, "Save Trump," and then had the mugshot, and then underneath it was "Vote Vivek." Oh, and you know, that, that's a little bit insulting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know it and, and a little bit, it's a little deceitful. Um, and so by running and, 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 uh, it's sort of like, you know, I put this out on Twitter last night. He's like a little remora, you know, that's a parasitic fish that hangs around the big shark. Uh-huh. Right. Cause uh-huh. he doesn't want to get his ass eaten. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, you know, so he's been hanging around and, you know, being all nice and, and, and the entire time he's just, you know, plan trying to plan this little deception move. <clears throat> I like Trump. I like Trump. Vote for me. So mm-hmm. now we just don't tolerate shit like that. So, um, welcome to the big leagues. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was one of the funniest moments of the weekend, and I I just. You know, my pal Michael Duncan has been really hard on him, and I he was loving it. I know that for sure. Well, listen, Chris. Well, we sure as hell we sure as hell don't do things to for Michael Duncan. But <laughs> I uh, listen, man. I know you're very, very busy, and I appreciate your time, yep. and um, wish my you all pleasure. the best. All right, bud. We'll talk soon. Take care. 
All right. I mean, look, that's a hell of an interview, not one you're going to get on CNN or Fox. How, or how, how dare Chris Lasavita say they didn't do it for me? That's <laughs> that's what I want to know. <laughs> I enjoyed that thoroughly. How dare. But, I mean, look, there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. And what he sort of let out with, with uh, Vivek being a parasitic fish mm-hmm. is something that has come up over the last five days. Yeah. Am I to read into that, that the Trump campaign now sees him as sort of eating into that Trump vote? I from with the way I understand it is they were just tired of the guy being fake. You know, I have heard for months from Trump people, not necessarily La Civita, but from a lot of long time, you know, first term campaign Trump people, they called him Vivek the fake. And everybody's like, Oh, how long are we gonna deal with this guy? He just he's pretending to be us. And over and over and over again. He has pretended to be Trump. He's not Trump. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree 100%, Ashbrook, but they also took it down to the wire before they criticized the guy, and I think they did that because that was convenient for them. And I get that. I mean, they have a campaign to run themselves. I have no shade in the game. Part of like, the strategy. I totally get it. Yeah. But the reality is he's been this fake the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. And they knew he was the fake the whole time. Time. Well, they, I'm guessing they didn't have a problem with it when, as you said, the TPS report came right out when he went down to Mar-a-Lago and he was like, "Everybody, sign my TPS report for loyalty for Trump." They thought that was great, yeah, and they were fine with that. But, but now, right before this caucus, where they really want to hit a number over 50, and let's be honest, that's the number that they want to hit so they can say, "We're there." Well, that, right? that, that's the number that erases doubts. Right. right? So they I want mean, to cannibalize the Vivek vote for Let's that. cold turkey this thing. Yeah. If you are in Trump camp, having heard from Chris Lasavita, and he would never put a number on this, but they've got a lot of confidence about their performance in Iowa. Um, 50 is the number, right? Yes. I think it's the number. I mean, look, they were talking about 30, 40, 50% wins at some point and and there's been some changes in that but if you have more than half of the republican primary electorate in a a contested electorate that's the message they want to send going forward correct it's the easiest cleanest thing to say from a communications perspective and say look we're here what what are we doing why are we still doing this right right well i think that's right but on the other hand look we've got ron DeSantis who's pushed all of his chips into Iowa. We saw it firsthand. We went out there during the state fair. We hosted an event where both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis showed up at. We went to the state fair and watched them all operate. And it was very clear to me at that point that the grass tops were incredibly well organized for Ron DeSantis. He since received, he was the beneficiary of that, right? He's got Governor Kim Reynolds, who is an incredibly popular governor who's got an incredible amount of... I mean, I have nothing good, good things to say about Kim Reynolds. She's been on his side, as is her leadership team. And and Bob. Uh-oh. Bob Vanderplatz. And then, and then that, that was the second piece, yeah. Bob Vanderplatz, which is a, I, I would say, perennial, but it's, it doesn't work because it's in four-year increments. But he's the guy with social conservatives right. that has been a kingmaker... Mm-hmm. 
in years past. He got that endorsement as well. Yeah, fellas, you are mentioning very important people in Iowa. We have breaking news at the moment. Breaking news. Oh, no. We absolutely have to bring this to you. Uh, uh, Michael Duncan, I'll let you read the breaking news. I have a, uh, a tweet from Donald J. Trump on True Social that says some very important news about Vivek Ramaswamy. <laughs> it is with a it is with a heavy heart I bring you this news that Vivek Ramaswamy. If you've watched the movie or the the TV show Succession, you're familiar with a game called Bore on the Floor. Oh Jesus. Well, Vivek played Bore on the Floor a little too long. Oh boy. And here comes a true social from Donald Trump. A vote for Vivek is a wasted vote. I like Vivek, but he played it too cute with us. Caucus tonight. Vote for Donald J. Trump. Build up the numbers. In November, we must take our very troubled nation, nation in decline, back from crooked Joe Biden and the radical left Democrats and thugs who are destroying it, MAGA. Another another instance of bodying. Well, there is the closing. Well, I I only read it that way because it was in all caps. There's not a single lowercase letter in this entire truth. Well, that pretty much puts a capstone on everything that was the Ramaswamy campaign, does it not? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Ramaswamy is a perennial underclassman. Donald Trump is an upperclassman. He puts Ramaswamy in a locker. He takes his lunch money over and over and over again. Well, he finally decided to, right. right? Because this has been going on for a long time, and he's served his purposes for a long time. But in the end, it was in the locker you go. Right. And and you saw it from La Civita on X, and then ultimately you got it from the former president on Truth. Right. Yeah, but it's that's not, where it, That's where freshmen belong. It's not... Yeah, he's a freshman. I get it. But a lot of freshmen have a little bit of self-respect. Oh, he came back at it? Vivek quote tweeted that. No. In which in which Donald Trump just put him in a fucking locker. And he says, I've defended Trump at every step and respect him immensely. No, no lies detected. You won't hear me no. attacking him. I'm asking for your vote tonight because I believe it's the right thing for our country. See, that's not a real campaign. It's pitch. not, dude. That's not a, that's not a real campaign. That's, pitch. That, that that is like. But thank, it boils thank, it down. Thank you, sir. May I have another? This is what we've been talking about since last year. Yes. And the reason that the Ruthless Variety program has been critical critical of Vivek is exactly what this is. Yeah, theater. Is it's it's all theater. And he knows what it what it takes to get people going in terms of excitement, but where they cast their ballots is in another direction. Right. Are you playing to win, or are you playing to raise your name ID? I that has always been my question about him, and I think that's pretty well played out right there. Right, right. right. President Trump knows how to handle theater kids, and he's done it in just <laughs> incredible detail. All right, so let's get to DeSantis. Yes. Um, lots has been made of the Super PAC, their uh, 
omni focus on Iowa, but how it blew up with the Jeff Rowe thing, with everything else, uh, a lot of concerns internally that made a lot of national news. Mm -hmm. The question tonight is whether or not all of that talk actually matters in terms of what the work product has been, which has been has gone on for months and months. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw it. Mm-hmm. We saw it firsthand. And it was it was it was well done. Um whether or not that ultimately delivers it, it exceeding expectations of where all the polls currently have them. I think a good place to start with that is a longtime DeSantis guy who's got a, a a much broader view than this current campaign, but has been with him for a long time and understands that whole operation with Phil Cox. Uh, Wolf, can we go to that? This episode is fueled by the American Petroleum Institute. No matter your politics, no matter the debate, one thing is certain. America runs on affordable, reliable energy. America's policies must recognize that Americans benefit from making, moving, and improving the energy right here in America. Today, America's oil and natural gas industry supports nearly 11 million jobs and provides American energy to keep this nation strong. Learn how at API.org. On Main Street, local credit unions and community banks are the heart of our small towns. So when these institutions are united in opposition to the Durbin-Marshall credit card bill, Congress should listen. The Durbin-Marshall credit card bill favors corporate megastores like Walmart and Target, shifting costs and risks unfairly onto the credit unions, community banks, and the 135 million customers they serve. Tell Congress to protect America's credit unions and community banks and oppose the Durbin-Marshall credit card bill. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org to take action. So in our effort to provide some idea of what we're talking about here, we're, we're, we figure we'll go to the minds that know the most. And to do that, I want to go to my very good friend, Phil Cox. This guy is instrumental in a whole bunch of Republican political things over the years, but he uh, has been a longtime DeSantis advisor and helped lead the 22 re-election uh, of Governor DeSantis down in Florida. Phil, welcome to the program. Josh, thanks for having me. What what an honor, man. I can tell you, I've done a lot of cool things in my life, but being on the program, I mean, it's like climbing Everest or, or sinking that 20-footer to win the Masters, brother. Like, this is seriously exciting stuff, but I, I've been waiting for swag for a while. What? So, like, I want to know who's in charge of the swag. Is it Duncan? Is Duncan. it Ashford? Like, who's in charge? Yeah, Duncan's in charge. Yeah, and I need some swag. I can't believe we've dropped. I the want a like lid. That. I want. I want a nice <laughs> lid. Okay, come on. Done. Uh, that's absolutely done. You know, and we may even have smug sign it for you. What do you think about that? Oh, <laughs> I, come on, Christmas come early. Let's go. <laughs> we've got smug in Iowa. Uh, covering the caucuses uh, in the one degree while we sit in the comfy confines of our studio here. <laughs> Wind chill of minus 22, buddy. Minus 22. Feels like minus 22. Not great. Not great. <laughs> well, it's a perfect way to punctuate what has been a, uh, a very interesting campaign that now feels like we've finally gotten to the voting uh, component of it and curious to get your thoughts. What do you think we're going to expect to see here in Iowa? Well, look, I, you know, campaigns are tough, right? And the, and the most important thing is to focus on the things that you can control. 
and the governor uh, has been disciplined. He's been putting in the work. He's done all 99 counties. He's got the endorsement of a great conservative governor, governor and Kim Reynolds. Um, you know, as evidenced by the recent debates and town halls, I think he's getting stronger uh, every day from a messaging standpoint. So he's gone about it the right way. Uh, the good news is the silly season is over. We don't have to worry about garbage polls or uh, <laughs> pontificators. The voters get to decide now. So they get to bundle up, baby, and uh, and we'll get to see how this all, all shakes out uh, here on Monday. Yeah, no, I, I can only imagine at this point when you have undergone months and months of speculation and, and rampant uh, strategy pontification from everybody on the outside looking in that at this point you guys are all pretty much looking forward to casting ballots. Yeah, amen. And I mean, yeah, look, he's, as I said, he's in a messaging sweet spot right now. Um, he's gotten stronger as every week has gone by. Um, he has a clear record of results in the third largest state in the country, has a record of serving his country as the only military veteran in the race. Uh, and he has clear vision to, to turn around this country. Um, yeah. And so the fun part starts now. Actual people, not the media, with all due respect to you. Uh, I don't know that we Not the media or garbage public <laughs> polls uh, get to decide now. So it's, it's great. Uh, we're looking forward to it. So obviously the campaign uh, and external efforts have focused heavily on Iowa. And we noticed when we were out there for the state fair back in August, the just the sheer amount of organization around the DeSantis campaign. Clearly, you guys have to feel good about the infrastructure that's been built there over a period of time. Uh, this is not something that's just sort of stood up here in the final weeks before the vote. Um, you feel like all that's kind of come together here at the right time for Governor DeSantis? I think so. I mean, there's literally hundreds of volunteers uh, knocking on doors, braving the cold right now. Uh, we knocked on our three millionth door uh, this week. Uh, as I said, we've got, you know, he's been to all 99 counties. We have over 1,500 precinct captains, which, as you know, uh, matters a lot in a caucus. Uh, you have to get up there and actually advocate uh, for your candidate, and that can make a real difference. You have to make that closing argument. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, having uh, Governor Reynolds endorsement and her organization at our back, folks like Bob Vanderplatz, yep. um, and just really putting in the work, uh, I think it's going to make a difference. The governor, uh, you know, has been very respectful of the voters of Iowa. He's taken questions wherever he's gone. Uh, he's shown up. He's listened. He's learned. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I think Iowa is going to be uh, going to be the boost that he needs to to really carry the momentum, um, you know, through New Hampshire, South Carolina and right into those Super Tuesday states. Yeah. So so I know you're too smart of an operative to do the expectation setting game. Uh, so I'm not going to pry too hard. But obviously, polls indicate Donald Trump's going to win these caucuses. Um, and there's been a lot of conjecture about. Haley, DeSantis, where do people finish? Uh, I understand that you all are pretty confident in where you're at and the work that has been done. Is there anything to extrapolate about tonight's results that will have a, a larger impact on the DeSantis campaign as it moves into New Hampshire and beyond? Well, I mean, I think, Josh, you know, he's taken over $45 million in negative advertising. Yeah. Um, the national media has certainly been no friends. We expect those media attacks to continue. I think the good news for that is that expectations are a little lower today than they were maybe a few months ago. Mm -hmm. um, and But really, as he said, this is the first chapter um, in a long book. He's in it for the long haul. 
Um, it certainly helps any candidates to, to get momentum in these early primary states. That helps for organization, it helps for money, um, and it should help from the media narrative, although we certainly don't expect a whole lot from them. Um, what we've, <laughs> said, point, what we've yeah. said repeatedly, Josh, and you and I have talked about this, is that you know, other than Trump, you know, DeSantis has the highest ceiling. And what does that mean for your listeners? Well, it just means that, you know, two thirds or three quarters of the Republican electorate broadly throughout the first, you know, 25 nominating states um, think very favorably of him. They think mm -hmm. highly of him. They would pull a lever to vote for him. OK. Mm -hmm. um, and so they need a permission slip to do that. And the permission slip, I think, begins in Iowa. If you look at Governor Haley, you know, she's performing relatively better in New Hampshire. And why is that? Because there's a lot of independents that participate in the New Hampshire primary. There's a lot of Democrats that participate uh, in the New Hampshire primary. But she has a much lower ceiling. She needs those independents and those Democrats to perform. And I don't think her candidacy is really built to last beyond New Hampshire. Mm, interesting. So is it is it fair to assume that after Iowa, that Governor DeSantis basically is right into South Carolina and then focusing on that larger map that comes pretty quickly. I think it is. It's sort of like the NCAA tournament, right? Like, uh, as you said, former president, um, he's he's already in. He's already made it to the finals, right? And we gotta we gotta win the win the bracket. Um, yeah. We gotta win the other bracket and get to the get down to where it's a one on one race. Yeah, very good. And, and that's gonna happen post South Carolina into Super Tuesday. And if we do that, then I think, look, I mean, you're running against a former president of the United States. Campaigns are hard. Presidential campaigns are hard. When one of your opponents is a former president who's still popular with a big chunk of the party, it gets even harder. So you gotta focus on what you can control. And right now, what we're focused on is is you know Monday night tonight. Um, making this, making sure this is a contest and not a coronation. Um, and I, I think we're going to have great momentum coming out of these caucuses and it's going to give him the energy to bring the fight to South Carolina, Super Tuesday and beyond. Well, well said. Listen, one of the smartest operatives in the game. Uh, and I don't, I don't say that lightly because I like to give Phil a very hard time. But Phil Cox, thank you. <laughs> thank you for, for joining us. And uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. And maybe, you know, you can stretch out here in the studio and have a bourbon with us and you know we can we can talk about all kinds of different things. now you're talking my language as long as there's a lid and some swag along with it i'm there <laughs> yeah you got it phil cox everybody thanks for joining us thanks josh appreciate it look i think i think the one thing that you're getting with this program tonight is people who we've known for a long time and i i gotta tell you both Chris Lasavita in the first interview that you did, Ashbrook, and now Phil Cox are people I go to war with in, in politics without question. Mm -hmm. If they said, I need you, I'm in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and so you're talking about a, a level of significance, of accomplishment, of people who know what they're talking about. Like somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. But that doesn't actually in the end, I think, reflect at all on what these guys are trying to do. Right. You know what I mean? They're, they're all, they all have a strategy to trying to execute it. Some will work here tonight. Right. Some right. may not. Right. But all of these people are extremely smart. Right. And, and they're both guys that the mainstream media would kill to get on camera. Yeah. I mean, think about how hard that the press would work to get Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh on on the same show 
And here they are talking through fighting against each other, explaining what it is that they want to do right here on the Ruthless Variety. Yeah, but that's like that's not their format. Right. And that's that's what makes our show great and which why I enjoy doing it. Right. Like you could have a Harbaugh or a Sabin or somebody on the show, but if you actually wanted to learn something, you'd have to give them 15 minutes. Well, but they have to do what we right, do. Cable news, cable news isn't set up for that, right. but no, no, we no. are. They're right? not. They, well, they're, they're, they're set up for it where Democrats are concerned. Right. They're not interested in providing that sort of platform for Republicans right. because they don't care about Republicans. They're all Democrats. They're Democrats making the news about Democrats and at the Ruthless Variety Programming Year Republican. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I noticed, so I was I was following, CNN had, had all the channels on today, and CNN had rolling coverage of the Iowa caucus, and, you know, like, some of it was good. Caitlin Collins, by the way, did a montage, historical montage of the the caucus that was terrific. Yeah, right. I tweeted it out. It I was saw, really, really, that. really well done. But then I, I saw a panel where they've got like a, a just a left wing uh, New York Times columnist, yeah, providing her thoughts on the Iowa, Republican Iowa. Well, that's the that's the funny that's the funny thing about CNN. Like the Iowa caucuses is the one day where they they treat Republicans the same way they would treat a plane crash. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> like they'll cover it. Like wall to wall, but it's almost like the zoo at yeah, the same right, time, where right. they're like, "Look at the way they mate." Yeah, look, they talk to each other funny. <laughs> look at them; they interact, and I can't believe they do this in rural areas. This yeah. is unbelievable. I've never mm-hmm. seen anything like it. That's exactly what they do on a routine basis. And then when a Democrat calls, they say, "Oh yeah, well that sounds great. I'm going to repeat that." ad nauseum from 8 a.m. until 9 p.m. 100%. And that's why you're tuned in here tonight. And thank you for doing that. Um, Listen, the last one of these is obviously Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley has found herself a groove in the last 60 days. Mm -hmm. It started, obviously, in Milwaukee. When we did the pre-debate show, we watched that. We saw the response to it. She popped. And from there, she started building where she went from like a 2% part of the electorate all of a sudden to competing in the mid-range to to getting to a point where Tim Scott had to get out because she was cannibalizing his vote right. to cannibalizing Chris Christie's vote, and mm-hmm. he had to get out, and she kept rising. Uh, you look at New Hampshire polls, and she's actually in the mix. In Iowa, she has put in the work but never expected to be, I think she always thought I got to be top three, mm-hmm. but I don't think she ever thought that she could a win it or B beat Ron DeSantis there because of the sheer investment in Iowa. That is coming into question here tonight. And if you, again, Wolf, can you put up that map one more time? The, the New York times map of, so look, if I'm going to take you back in time, what I'm looking at with all those yellow counties is the Ted Cruz counties. And those are basically where Ron DeSantis has to do well. Cedar Rapids up towards the northwest of the state. He's got to do really well. Obviously, Ted Cruz did well in the southern part of the state towards the southeast. But those are a bunch of rural, very conservative counties 
that have identified themselves for years as being socially conservative, fiscally conservative, they're conservative, conservative places. Then you have this rich, vote rich areas that are like Des Moines that you see there. Um, Polk County, for one, which in my mind, we're going to know pretty early when they start reporting there whether or not Nikki Haley has that kind of momentum because that's where those are the Marco Rubio counties in 2016. Right. Mm. Right. And it's not a perfect overlap. These are not the same counties, but these are counties that Marco Rubio had suburban over indexed. And, and part of the reason you see in general election numbers where Nikki Haley's 10 points above Joe Biden mm-hmm. and Donald Trump is two points mm-hmm. above Joe Biden is because of what we're talking about here. These are people who are motivated for a little different brand of Republicanism. And and we're going to see what ultimately wins out. Traditionally, what's happened is it is it is split. In the last Iowa caucuses in 2016, is split in a very real way. You have the kind of your break the system folks. You have the social and fiscal conservatives, which is aligned with Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. And then you have your uh, responsible, like quote unquote responsible. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how to, how to characterize it, but, but people who want a conservative governance, but they want governance. Mm-hmm. And they voted for Marco Rubio in a very real way mm-hmm. to the point where he basically tied in the Iowa caucus, and that's who she's going after. The other one is out in Davenport, Iowa, which is in the eastern part of the state, close to Illinois, and th- and that's an area where we're going to keep eyes on tonight. Those are the counties, in my view, that Nikki Haley is going to need to do as well, if not better than Marco Rubio, right. to be a part of this conversation. Do you guys agree with that? I, you know, I, I don't disagree at all. And, and I think one of the things that Nikki Haley has going for her that I don't remember Marco having going for him is uh, funding for media. If you look at the Nikki Haley media spend, she is playing with the big boys and has been for the last, like, month. All of the Nikki Haley campaign and outside group spend... Uh, that has been put on TV in the state of Iowa within the last month has actually outstripped Trump, has outstripped DeSantis, has outstripped, you know, other. This is according to Smart Media Group, who's, you know, a good friend of the program. I think that uh, she has done absolutely everything she could do to put as good of a number on the board as she possibly could put on the board heading into and we'll get we'll get into this in another show but heading into New Hampshire and if Nikki And that's ha- the whole play here. Right. It's a springboard effect. Right. Can she exceed the expectations that have been set for her in Iowa to get into New Hampshire where she knows that she's a solid second and can she contend with the ultimate which is Donald Trump's codlock I, on the primary <clears throat> electorate. I'm 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 curious about three things and i'm glad you mentioned that about you know des moines suburbs and all of that with like where she actually shakes out in there um i'm curious about two things number one what does her margin look like in some of those precincts and suburban areas around places like des moines and 
what does Vivek Ramaswamy bring to the table? And I say that because it's a different thing than we had in 2016. We had it back in like 08, you know, when uh, like Ron Paul won Jefferson County, where the University of Iowa yeah. is. And you and you you think that that oh, yeah. could be a Vivek? Well, uh, I, that's what I'm curious about. Is that there are some some very um, you know voter rich areas um, in metropolitan areas, like college towns, and things like that, where Rubio did really well yeah. in 2016. That I wonder if that's if that's a Nikki Haley vote, or if it's like. Nikki Haley and maybe it's also some Vivek stuff. Might be more of a generational vote. That's what I'm wondering. Than an ideological right, vote. Right, here, right. Here's, here's a question I have for you, Michael. Um, you think Vivek Ramaswamy is sort of a pure analog as a modern-day Ron Paul candidate? No. No, no, not in the slightest, actually. I think he's like a the cheap facsimile of what Ron Paul was. I mean, Ron Paul is one of the reasons why I got involved in politics in the first place. And I know that probably is going to make you upset, Holmes, because you think he's soft on terror and all of this sort of well, stuff. Well, he is soft on terror. Okay, well, whatever. But, I, I you know, I, I think Ron Paul had a, a, a decency about him. I agree with that, that, that 100%. That, yep. that, that, that made people gravitate towards him. That's why I, I loved him in, in 2000. Well, it's one of the reasons why I love Rand Paul. Right. Is that I, I disagree with an enormous amount that Ron Paul and Rand Paul did, but they told you right at the outset, you can't expect you anything could never, else. You, you, would, you would never look at Ron Paul and be like, this guy's lying to me. He doesn't believe what he's saying. And there is a segment of the Republican electorate that skews libertarian, mm-hmm. that, that skews- And just, I, felt, I felt that way forever, and it's one of the reasons why Vivek's campaigns, you know, I've, <laughs> I've obviously purposely been upset about it, but- all right, hold on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, chomp in on this. So it turns out that there are already projections that Trump wins Iowa. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's not in question. Like I, I that has always been the case. But I think before we get to that, I think we ought to look at exactly how it is that that the undercard works for a springboard here. Right. Because I think that's a more important story coming out of Iowa than ultimately what happens. And and to that, let, let's get to our last interview here with Betsy Ankney. I want to welcome to the program a good friend, somebody who has kept us updated throughout the course of this campaign. She is the campaign manager for Nikki Haley and a uh, someone we've known for quite some time. Very, very talented operative. Widely respected. Betsy Ankney, welcome to the program. It's great to be here. It's great uh, to be here. And you are uh, in the middle of Iowa in beautiful, balmy, what is it, like negative 11 at this point? Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. But, uh, you know, <laughs> we carry on. Easy. Yeah, you know, everyone wants to come to Iowa in January. Well, I can um, only imagine after all of the work that everybody has spent to finally get to the point where people are casting ballots that you're feeling pretty good about getting to the voting portion of this program. Yes, it you know, it's hard to believe it's been 11 months since we've been at this. Um, you know, we uh, started at 2% and here we are 
on caucus day, uh, just ready to rock. So yeah, you know, that, that is, I it, think, you know, there's a tendency at least when you get into the later stages of a campaign to look at it statically, but where you guys have come from and where you're at now, not just in Iowa, but New Hampshire, South Carolina, nationally, you've sort of, you know, there's a old sort of cliche about peaking at the right time, but it feels like that's sort of where you guys are at. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I, you know, I have to give uh, the fellas credit because I feel like you guys early on after talking to Nikki shortly after launch, you were like, you know, there's something there. There's something there. And uh, I think the people of Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and beyond have have really started to see what what we have seen and what you guys saw early. And um, it's been fun. It's been fun to watch. Um, you know, I think we always said that once she got on that debate stage and people really saw what she was all about, um, you know, she wins rooms, whether it's, you know, 20 people in a living room in Iowa or millions of people on the debate stage. Yeah. No, well, no question. The more that people have seen her, the more uh, traction that mm-hmm. she's gotten throughout the course of this campaign. As you're looking at Iowa, particularly, this has always been a state where President Trump has held Uh, pretty large advantages. There was a moment in time when it looked like Ron DeSantis pushing all of his chips into Iowa uh, was going to be very competitive with him. Recent polls have shown Nikki is creeping up and and perhaps even in some polls uh, passing Ron DeSantis. Do you have any sense of how you all, what constitutes success for Nikki Haley tonight? You know, to your point, it it really is remarkable. I think that you know, Trump, as you said, you know, always expected to do very well here. I believe uh, we may have put out a video earlier talking about how he was saying he was going to win by 40, 50, 60 points. Um, and here we are. Uh, DeSantis has repeatedly said that he was going to win Iowa. You know, he really has just focused his operation here. He has the endorsement of the governor. He has the endorsement of Bob Vanderplatz. He's just sort of put all his eggs in the Iowa basket. And so, you know, we we never expected to win Iowa. We really sort of looked at this as a one-two punch with Iowa and New Hampshire. And so the fact that we're sitting here today, you know, kind of fighting for second place with someone who has put all of his money, all of his time, all of his resources in here is um is really remarkable so we are we are happy with where things stand and i think no matter what um you know we expect a strong showing and then it's it's off to the races and that's it's sort of strategically very clear how you all have approached this like we said the desantis camp obviously wanted and, and needs a good finish here in iowa trump's been strong virtually everywhere the way that you have built this campaign betsy and correct me if i'm wrong appears to be like an upslope where New Hampshire, clearly, mm-hmm. the po- the polling there has been very favorable towards Nikki Haley as of late. And it, it seems like it's a crescendo that you're sort of leading in. Is it, is it right to think that you're you're trying to just improve your margins here as you go along? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of, you know, h- how things have played out here. And I think it, it is interesting in terms of how we built this. You know, when we had that first debate, we had one staffer on the ground in Iowa. And at that point, you know, others had been knocking on doors since June and had hundreds of staffers on the ground. And our one sweet little staffer, Billy, (laughs) the night of that debate, got over 400 calls and texts of like, how can I help? Sign me up. And we just built slowly from there. So, 
you know, when you when you started talking about that, I, I sort of had in my mind, we we built at the right time. We took advantage of the momentum as it came and we've built our operation accordingly. And we've done the same in, in New Hampshire as well. So, um, you know, New Hampshire's eight days after Iowa. You can't just show up on Tuesday and say, hey, everybody. Um, so, um, <laughs> right. you know, we've really taken that into account, knowing that, you know, it really is a one two punch. So. Looking at Iowa, what Nikki has done well in almost every state here is uh, have really sort of over-indexed support in vote-rich areas, suburban areas, uh, you know, collar counties around uh, big kind of major metros. Is that the same in Iowa? Are you are there is there any geographic locations that you're particularly looking at as not only harbingers of maybe a good night in Iowa, but what to expect in these races to come? You know, I think the the population centers are really kind of where we've we focused a lot of our time. You know, we 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 go where the voters are, we go where the people are, and so we've been smart about um, the, our schedule here. We've been smart about building out, and so you know, like t- today, we actually plan to do a, a you know hit multiple markets and do Sioux City and Davenport and Cedar Rapids and Des Moines. And with the weather here, it just was simply not possible. So we've hit those areas over the past couple of days. But, um, you know, we, we spent the day kind of in the greater Des Moines area, mostly because we couldn't get around much elsewhere. <laughs> right. um, so, you know, um, you know, we're we're fishing where the fish are, so to speak. How much of a challenge is the weather? I mean, you listen to the journos and it, it, it like they're going to tell you they're in Antarctica, <laughs> and yet we got smug there. He seems to be faring okay. Uh, what do you? I mean, what's the real your take? question is: Is he going to be wearing his sunglasses? He's he's I mean, got them. He's got them. He's got them on. He is exactly what you expect. You will see him, Bets, and he's exactly as you expect him I to mean, be. There is a lot of snow out there. It's pretty bright. I gotta say. Um, so he's it makes pretty bright. Sense. He'll fit right in. Um, But um, it's, you know, I'm from Ohio. I spent um, I spent some time in Wisconsin, as you know, spent some time in Chicago. And, you know, it's I mean, it's cold, like it's definitely cold. I I will say sort of the combo of having some snowstorms earlier this week and then um, the bitter cold now, um, you know, creates kind of an interesting dynamic. But in terms of people getting out and, and voting, I don't know how much of an impact it's going to have. You know, mm-hmm. we've seen strong turnout at our events. Um, and, you know, I was telling someone, you know, I've, I've been, you know, living places where it's been this cold. And maybe you say, you know, I'm not going to go out to dinner tonight or I'm not going to, you know, go to a bar. I'm going to stay home. But in terms of doing what you need to do, like, you go to work, you go to the grocery store. If you are planning to show up in caucus, I think that, you know, as long as you can get there safely, I think I think people will. But I will say it has been um, a definite um, factor in terms of, you know, travel around the state. I right. mean, the roads have been a little hairy. Um, if you're trying to fly, it's been a little hairy. So, you know, just want to make sure everyone stays safe, really. Well, buckle down and stay safe tonight. I imagine you're probably on a plane pretty quickly to New Hampshire. I got to be honest, <laughs> I don't think the weather's going to improve a whole lot for you. That's right. Although I think it'll be a little warmer, but uh, still pretty chilly. Oh, I love it. All right. Well, very good luck tonight. Thanks for all of the answers here. And, and over the course of this campaign, you guys have been uh, terrific in providing listeners a real-time sense of what's going on there. And uh, we'll be in touch soon. Betsy Ankney, everybody. Uh- we appreciate it. We are uh, big fans of the program, and thank you guys for everything. We'll see you soon. You got it. Take care. 
This episode is fueled by the American Petroleum Institute. No matter your politics, no matter the debate, one thing is certain. America runs on affordable, reliable energy. America's policies must recognize that Americans benefit from making, moving, and improving the energy right here in America. Today, America's oil and natural gas industry supports nearly 11 million jobs and provides American energy to keep this nation strong. Learn how at API.org. On Main Street, local credit unions and community banks are the heart of our small towns. So when these institutions are united in opposition to the Durbin-Marshall credit card bill, Congress should listen. The Durbin-Marshall credit card bill favors corporate megastores like Walmart and Target, shifting costs and risks unfairly onto the credit unions, community banks, and the 135 million customers they serve. Tell Congress to protect America's credit unions and community banks and oppose the Durbin-Marshall credit card bill. Visit electroncpaymentscoalition.org to take action. All right, welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. Uh, let me tell you what we're seeing versus what you're seeing on cable channels and whatnot. There is always a race, and we've seen this work poorly. Uh, we've also seen it work okay over the years, where uh, networks race to try to call things. Right, everybody has a decision deck. And what they do yeah. is they base all of the polling that they are working off of over a period of time with the closing of a poll and they just project it out because they want to be first. Right. What you're seeing in Iowa is less than 1% of the votes that have actually been cast being reported at this point. Now, everyone's calling this for Donald Trump, and I'm not going to object to that because I think they're right that Donald Trump, based on all the polling, shows that he's going to have a big victory here tonight. The margin is what matters. Right. And the springboard from who's second and third matters, too, in the case of what this primary ultimately looks like in New Hampshire and beyond. And, and, and in Polk County, for example, like you mentioned earlier, Holmes, Polk County, Des Moines, right? We have 97 votes for Donald Trump, 50 for Nikki Haley, and 39 for Ron DeSantis. And we're dealing with thousands of votes that will ultimately, yeah, ultimately be counted. <laughs> so that's what you're seeing, guys. And look, there are a lot of really smart people that we've worked with over the years that make their living off of making these calls for networks. Mm -hmm. There have also been really smart people who've lost their jobs because of it, because the race to be first is super important. What we're going to do here tonight is something that we don't care if we're you know, first to call races. I think Donald Trump's going to win this for the record. But what we're more interested in is how these counties stack up, how the votes ultimately proclaim themselves, and then ultimately how these delegates are cast. Yeah. Because that is yeah. how you actually nominate a Republican a presidential candidate. Right, right. I, I think you have you have said it very, very well. And I think that in addition to talking about what you are going to see on these networks, I think it's important to discuss what you're not going to see on these networks. What you're not going to see on these networks is the type of coverage that you're accustomed to on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings when you're watching 
to learn about sports. When you're learning about sports, you hear something from each side. Oh, the team from the Big Ten has a great running game. They've got a good coach. They're going to have a really hard time with the secondary from this SEC team. This team from the SEC is very fast. They are going to really bring it to this running game from the Big Ten. Network television cannot present to you the information on news in politics the way that they present it to you on sports. That's what we try to do on the Ruthless Variety program is provide something that gives you the information that tells you one side of the story and the other side of the story dispassionately about who could win and what are the strengths and weaknesses of each side. And the most important part is the rules of that. And to that, I think we ought to go back out to Smug it's been a little while. All yeah, right, we got to go back well, I'm out. I'm joined right now by Chairman Kaufman, who runs the Iowa Republican Party. Thank you so much for joining us, Chairman. I wouldn't turn you guys down. Absolutely, always happy to be here. Thank you so much. So, everyone knows it's Caucus Day. Who's allowed to participate in the Republican Caucus? You got to have to be an Iowa resident and and uh, provide proof for that. You have to be a resident of your precinct. You have to be a registered Republican, and you can register uh, this evening when you come into the caucus site. Okay, so if someone's an independent, they could show up to the caucus site, register as a Republican, and then they can get it. Absolutely, and I congratulate them for seeing the light. <laughs> there you go. And so what exactly happens at a caucus? What, what's the whole process? The, you, After uh, getting settled in, the key that makes it a caucus as opposed to a primary is you actually get to hear from the candidates again, the candidates or their surrogates. So if you come in on caucus night and have, don't have your mind made up, that's great, because you're going to hear everybody's spiel one more time. Then you vote. The voting, the votes are counted in the room. They are recorded in the room. They are sent in in the room. And ultimately, we have a paper trail for everything. So it's one of the most open and transparent processes literally in the country. Paper ballots and voting on one day. Who'd have thought something like that could work, right? It is wonderful, but I have a big announcement for you guys. Oh, what's that? This is a big announcement. We, we've been looking for initiatives to reach out to the soccer moms. And so I just want you, I have not said this to any other outlet. I'm saying this to you guys, but I just want all of your listeners to know that I have offered myself as the spokesperson, and I truly believe with me reaching out into those suburbs, I think Republicans are going to take a commanding lead among suburban soccer moms, and you're looking at the secret weapon right now. There you go. Thank you so much for joining us, Chairman Kaufman. And there you have it. That's how the caucus works. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> what a great interview. <laughs> What a great interview. He's the best. Oh, my God. <laughs> you that got a mom out there? Jeff Kaufman is the answer. <laughs> just that kind of attractive hunk. You know, yeah. you know, he does it, you know, we'll just keep it low key, but he's eye candy. Yeah. He's eye candy. No question about it. So we've been watching all of this stuff. I, I think we got to get to one more interview, and Smug's going to do that here shortly, but- I'm looking at what we talked about initially, mm -hmm. where these vote-rich areas and how they break down in terms of who DeSantis is going after, who Trump's going after, who Nikki Haley is going after, and how they have broke down here, um, it feels a lot like what we just discussed. Uh, like, for example, 
Davenport suburbs of, you know, it's a little bit east of this, but Johnson County, for example. Mm-hmm. Johnson County is somewhere where we're dealing with very low vote totals. She's got a lead in this area. This is an area, I mean, it's a 20-point lead right now. That could change momentarily. But if you look at where Johnson County was in 2016, that's a Rubio County by almost 21%. Mm. Right. Right? So what we just discussed at the front end of this broadcast in terms of things that you need to watch for is actually coming to fruition entirely. The the Rubio map and what it looks like is Nikki Haley's map. Mm. The DeSantis map is the Ted Cruz map. Mm. And the and the Trump map is his map plus 30%. So you think there's a scenario at the end of the night where you have Trump with an expanded number and you have Ron DeSantis with a Ted Cruz-like number and you have Nikki Haley with a Marco Rubio-like That's the number. best case scenario for Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. I think, in this scenario, which is that he gets somewhere near the Ted Cruz result in all of these various counties. And when we looked at it back in 2016, you're talking about the rural areas of the state. You're talking about the center of the state avoiding Des Moines in the suburban collar counties mm. all the way down south. You get a heavy flow up in the in the northwest part of the state. Mm. But but that's it. Yeah. That's what he's working I on. I think it's important to recognize though that that Cruz's coalition in twenty sixteen relied on a lot of rural areas. And in this uh caucus where there is so much uncertainty on what turnout might be in a lot of these places outside of the metropolitan areas. I don't know how predictable that is. I mean, we don't know that that really is the greatest unknown of this caucus tonight is, you know, where is uh, turnout impacted by the weather that everybody's experiencing in the state? I have to think that it's more dependable in some of these suburban and urban areas around Des Moines and Davenport, like you said, Holmes, for Nikki that, that might help her. And in some of these rural areas where DeSantis is really relying on being a strong number two to Donald Trump to offset that. Yep. Is going to be, you know, difficult if the weather is bad. I, I, we just don't know that yet. Here's one of the things that I think could, um, could dog DeSantis down the stretch here. Um, and we talked about this in our interview with Chris LaCivita. It's the dynamic of, volunteer door knockers versus paid door knockers. The Trump campaign has a volunteer army of a thousand people around the state of Iowa who are knocking doors and telling people, I think you should consider Trump again. And by the way, I'm not getting paid to tell you this. I'm doing it on my spare time. And there are forces on the DeSantis side who believe fervently in a paid door knocking effort. They think that there is no value in a volunteer door knocking effort because they don't think it works. It's one of the great debates within the Republican Party politics and Democratic Party is whether or not you can adequately put together a volunteer force that you can count on. And our experience has been that that has worked. 
that a, a volunteer i mean to be honest with you i i mean i, I don't know if we're living a, like a privileged life or whatever but like a volunteer force is the force in politics people who actually believe what it is that they're saying they're, they're spending their free time of their own volition doing their own thing knocking doors because they believe in a candidate that that sends such a strong message can i give you can i give you a just a, a county that is not a vote rich county yep. but something that you ought to just sort of consider about the change of republican politics in particular with this campaign that may be significant from here on out yep. and we're talking about slim numbers so granted like if if this was a poll you'd be laughing out of the yeah. ballpark but that's well, we're why talking pe- about about specific votes here that's why people are watching the show because they want to know um okay go ahead so so in the upper northwest uh-huh. of the state of iowa there's lyon county lyon county was carried by ted cruz by 20 well it was it was almost 20 points over marco rubio fourth a distant fourth was Donald J. Trump finishing at 15.6%. Ted Cruz was almost 40. A big, big chasm. It's a 20-point yep. chasm. Now, granted, you're only dealing with hundreds of votes here. You're not you're not dealing with thousands of votes or anything that's substantial in terms of the overall caucuses. But if you look at the first results that came in here, Donald Trump is winning 72%. Holy cow. Of Lyon County. Ron DeSantis is 12th. And Nikki Haley's at 9. So I, I just, it, it seems to me that the great impossibility for Ron DeSantis in this discussion is trying to convert the, the votes of Donald Trump who are on board for renominating a president that they voted for and believed in mm-hmm. in the context of they're the conservatives. Mm-hmm. They're the conservatives. Mm-hmm. Like he's not won the argument that he is a better conservative than Donald Trump in this. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me like, well, first of all, I think it's a, a hilarious in, in some ways, but secondarily, if that holds, if that number holds, that's a 50-point flop. Sure, but, uh, I mean, Donald Trump's coalition in 2016 looks nothing like his coalition today. In the I mean, primary? Yes. You're saying because he has a significant number of establishment Republicans on his side? No. I'm, I'm saying... Oh, okay. I'm saying who's, in t- who's, natural, who's coming to his side? No, I'm saying in 2016, uh, Donald Trump's coalition was independent voters and doing strong not first place in a lot of suburban areas and that offset the gains of a person like ted cruz in rural areas that's not his coalition anymore his coalition is rural white working class voters that he won over over the course of that campaign and when he became president and when he you know changed nafta into usmca and he got a lot of those rural you know white working class voters on his side it's an entirely different coalition for Donald Trump now. The the question for for Donald Trump coming out of Iowa and and you know if he's the the nominee um 
you know, for the Republican Party in 2024 is, is that enough? Is that enough? We, we, we don't know that. Well, I mean, look, what concerns me is that I don't think from a national perspective, there's been a lot of doubt about how this thing's going to end. But what's playing out in this primary is all the vulnerabilities you ultimately have in a general election. Right? You're, you're dealing with area vote-rich areas that are not going for Donald Trump, that you are required in order to win a general election in November. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, granted... We're dealing with primary in this state. We're dealing with caucus, uh, so we're it's a very, you know, they've right. self-selected in a, in a very different way. But you can see the problems with the Republican coalition that we've had over the last four years play out in technicolor in this primary. Sure, I mean you're again, collar counties of da- Davenport, collar counties of Des Moines, collar counties of Cedar Rapids. All of these places that have vote-rich areas are, at this point, Trump skeptical. Mm-hmm. And these are the places that DeSantis and Haley are over-indexing on. Everywhere rural, thus far, is lock, stock, and barrel Donald Trump voters. They're yeah. great. It's good. When you get in the context of a general election and everything goes from a 25% turn out to an 80%, these people are all turning out. Mm -hmm. But they also interact with friends. They interact, they they go to the same schools. They talk with the same people. I mean, these are not, it's not like we deal with silos of Republican voters who never deal with Democratic voters or middle-of-the-road voters. And and to use your term, technicolor, we saw that in 2022 in technicolor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. With with a lot of candidates who were endorsed by Donald Trump in the 2022 midterms, who had really good records and really good ideas, and all of the voters said that they agreed with them on all of the issues that they said that they cared about, and then in a lot of suburban areas, um, Democrats and independent voters abandoned the Republican Party, and we ultimately lost a lot of very close statewide races, both gubernatorial and Senate. I think the one thing that we can do here again on the Variety program that you can't see anywhere else is go back to Smug and talk to one of the icons of Iowa politics, guy that we, we've we never done an event without him. This guy knows everyone in Iowa. Kochel, uh, why don't we go out, back out to Smug for that? All right, folks. Well, I am joined right now by the Honorable David Kochel, the most highly respected operative in the state of Iowa. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Mug. Welcome to my Super Bowl. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty much the biggest event in politics every four years. And we love to have you here because of the insight that you can offer. I mean, we're talking about how much is turnout going to be depressed because of weather? Is that going to be a major, uh, you know, deciding factor in what happens tonight? Yeah, weather is going to have a big impact tonight. Normally we say, you know, it doesn't matter that much. We're Iowans. We're Hale and Hardy. We're used to going outside when it's 10 degrees, 20 degrees, maybe even zero. But we're talking about something different now. It's going to be 15 below with wind chill up to 45 or 50 below. 
Uh, that's a whole nother thing. That means, you know, sometimes your engine won't turn over, your battery can die. If you're off in a ditch tonight driving, let's say you're in a rural part of the state, there's nobody coming by to find you. Uh, you know, the wind chill means, you know, frostbite within six minutes, maybe. Um, for some people, not for the most enthusiastic, the most diehard. For some people, this is going to be just a step too far, particularly if you're elderly, particularly if you don't like to drive at night. Uh, I think, so who does that favor? That's going to be your question, I'm sure. Exactly. Which campaign do you think benefits the most from lower turnout? Which do you think suffers the most if it's a low turnout? I think Trump suffers the most from a low turnout. Yeah, look, we had, 20, we had 187,000 people in 2016. Anything, I set the over-under in this campaign at 150 because it just hasn't been quite as interesting or exciting a campaign. I think anything over 150 really does benefit Trump just because his support is so broad. That means just a big turnout. He's just got more people that he can, he can get out there. They've ID'd way more voters than the other campaigns that are competing for this. I think under that, something's going wrong for him if we're down in that 120, 130 range, which is much lower than in 2016 and even lower than I would have predicted. So, uh, you know, organization does matter a lot, though. I know they've been calling, the Trump people have been calling their county chairs and their precinct leaders, figuring out who has a four by four, figuring out who has SUVs, trying to help people get rides. They're lining them up, booking them. Maybe people are out at six o'clock swinging around and filling up their car and getting them to the caucus. So they're, they're organized enough to be able to do that. Uh, I think DeSantis is organized enough to be able to do that. Uh, time will tell whether or not AFP, who endorsed Nikki Haley, kind of has that kind of quick reaction organization as well. So we're going to learn a lot about this tonight. I think the real there's two races. It's Trump against expectations. If he falls under 50%, that means over half of, of Iowa said no. If, if uh, he's above 50%, he did what he needed to do. Haley and DeSantis, it's going to be momentum versus mechanics. Haley has momentum. She has had for a couple of months. And DeSantis has invested $100 plus million, 99 counties. Governor Kim Reynolds, the most popular Republican in Iowa. Bob Vanderplatz, a well-known evangelical who has been in the forefront of the campaigns of the last three Iowa caucus winners. So he's, he's usually a good predictor of how this goes. Uh, if, if, if DeSantis has all that and falls short, tough night for him. So Nikki Haley goes on to New Hampshire either way. For DeSantis, he's got a lot He's got a lot riding on this. I think he has to overperform expectations. And, you know, that, I mean, that's, this is going to be the whole ballgame tonight. So if you were a betting man, what's your prediction for the way the caucus turns out? Who gets what place? What do the numbers end up looking like? Yeah, uh, Trump's going to win. Does he get over 50? If it's lower turnout, I say no. I say, but, it, but his floor is probably 45%. I don't see him going below that. He does have enthusiastic supporters. So he's going to win. I don't think there's any question about that. If there's someone else who gets past him, that's going to be a thunderclap in Iowa politics. Uh, I think the real race for second is Haley DeSantis. I think DeSantis has a better machine, and I've, I've been saying that I think that's enough. But her events have grown. Uh, her poll numbers have risen past DeSantis in the latest Iowa poll. That's the most important poll we have. Uh, I think I'd probably right now bet on momentum over mo over mechanics. So let's say Nikki Haley 24, let's say DeSantis 22. I could be wrong. 
I've been wrong on this before, and the Iowa caucuses love to surprise. So that's what we're going to look for. Amazing. Thank you so much for the analysis, Mr. Cottrell. Back to you guys. Oh, man. I mean, dude, you're just not going to get that shit anywhere no, else. It doesn't get better than Dave Cottrell. Oh, it's so good. You know what I love that Cottrell did there is the the classic like election day dichotomy which is momentum versus mechanics. Yes. And I think that is the thing that we're all watching tonight because I think everybody would agree, you know, uh, if you looked at the polling and, and the momentum and all that, it, Nikki Haley looks like she's sort of ascendant. Yep. If you look at the mechanics, you're like, well, I mean, Iowa, it's a caucus. It's a conservative state. And Ron DeSantis has gotten all these caucus commitments and he's built a machine in the state to turn out his vote. So what wins for who is second? Is it is it mechanics? Is it momentum? And I love that interview because that perfectly distills what the question is tonight. It it is. And just as an update, uh it is thirteen three bucks over Eagles. It is. Oh okay. Just so everybody's aware, we've got this going on here in the studio. Don't think we've lost our morals. Poor <laughs> Don't think we've lost our morals. Is that, is, is that good news or bad news in the Holmes house? It's bad news when I get home. It's questionable. <laughs> questionable. It, it, it's, it's the classic case of short versus long-term yeah, yeah, issues. Yeah. Short-term, very bad. Long-term, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. All right. So we're dealing with uh, 3% of the votes in a, a total of 3,400. Mm-hmm. And you heard how the caucus system works for Ron Kaufman. There's a lot of different stuff that has to, to go down here. So we're dealing with a very, very nascent level. At this point, as Kochel said, Trump is above the 50% threshold that he looked for for a like put away win. Uh, he's at 52 uh, point nine, DeSantis and Haley neck and neck, nineteen eighteen. So we'll see how this ultimately plays out in the next iteration mm-hmm. of stuff that we're dealing with. But I think people ought to see a little bit of Iowa. Yeah, don't shouldn't they? Yes. I mean, if you're tuning in the Ruthless yeah. Friday program, uh, you, you see a lot of us. If if you watch the mainstream press, you see plenty of New York. I feel like it's our duty to show people a little bit of Iowa. No question about it. I think we should go back out. This is some stuff that Smug has done throughout the day that I think is terrific. Hey, folks. Smug reporting live from Des Moines. And as everyone knows, coffee shops are where you go to speak to the people of Des Moines to see whether they're going to be caucusing. And who's at the coffee shops? It's the journos, folks. Every coffee shop you go to today, you will see... No locals, only journos. Live from Des Moines, it's Mug. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so damn good. It's so damn good. It's so, so perfect. Good. It's like people are like, are you kidding me? It's snowing. No, you, you know what I love about this? Is because it reveals the theater of what cable news is. Yeah. Oh. That's what I, I, I just love that Smug went there to the coffee shop and was like, hey, 
journos, I'm telling on you. <laughs> You're sitting here by yourselves. All with cameras rolling. Cameras rolling. There's no voters there. You know? <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. It's so good. And Smug just does that perfectly. He does a deadpan. I love <laughs> he it. He does a deadpan. <laughs> it's so good. I think we got... Do we have one more? Do we have one more from Smug? Let's let's find another location here because I think we got we got something else here for you. All right, folks. So we've been to the pizza ranch, we've been to the coffee shops, we've been to the media center, and let me tell you, it's become clear the only folks who are out and about right now are journos and us. Everyone who actually lives in Iowa will be taking part in this caucus tonight. They're inside. They're not out here in sub-zero temperature. And so my story is this caucus, folks, it's going to come down to turnout and which campaign can motivate their supporters to get out in sub-zero temperatures and vote for their candidate. Back to you folks in the studio. I love that. <laughs> it's so fun. So we joked before we came on air about how we could do two hours on this show with cliches. Yeah. And like... It all mm, comes down to turnout. It all comes down to turnout, but what's the weather going to do? Yeah. What's the wet? What's the impact of the weather? You know what I mean? It's it's like it's all so so. It it just it defeats the whole purpose of what has been. I don't know, seven hundred million dollars worth of effort mm-hmm. out of every campaign mm-hmm. that has been dealing with incredible amount of persuasion of hand to hand combat of air cover of everything else, and they're like they boil it down to. Uh, well, it's going to be a little cold yeah. here in Iowa. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, if you listen to a lot of uh, the mainstream cable news, it's like it's like they just they're reading the entrails. <laughs> you know, like there's some witch doctor who's who 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 gets there and it's like I'm reading the entrails and I I have proclaimed Donald Trump the winner. <laughs> you know, but do, do you, you know you know why that is, Michael. The reason why they're reading the entrails is because cable news is broadcast, produced, and everything else by people who are Democrats. They hate Republicans. There is no chance that you tune in to a cable news network and you hear anything other than Democrat talking points. And it is the absolute worst thing. It's why people should watch our show. It's I think it's all. Should... I, I agree 100%. Ashbrook, I think I would add one more thing. I would say it's also a very formulaic product, you know, where yeah, they've got commercials that they have to get to. It's only 30 second sound bits. You don't get Betsy. You don't get Chris. Because they don't care. You don't get Phil. They they do not care. Right. The only campaign people they care about are people who either work currently for Biden or used to work for Obama. Yeah. Um, so I've got a technical question here. Uh, Smug is outside of the realm of data here, and he would like to call in. Um Smug, is that some, or is that something Wolf you can work on, or do you want me to just call him and put him on speaker? Uh, we can call him and put him on speaker. Do you want me to just put him on speaker here? Yeah. I think I feel like the man has just he sacrificed for us all. Yeah. Yep. Much like Christ. I yep. want. I, I, <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far, but I am concerned for his core. <laughs> I am concerned for his core body temperature. 
So I'm, I'm putting him up. Hey, hey, dude, pal, you're on. You're on live. Excellent. So there is drama right now going on in the Iowa caucuses. There are precincts that are currently still caucusing. And there's folks in there pulling the results up on their phones and saying to each other, hey, there's no point, guys. Trump has this. No way. Charlie's, yeah, Charlie Spees, uh, an attorney who's affiliated uh, with the DeSantis folks, put out a tweet saying that, uh, you know, they are furious at the networks calling this for Trump when tons of precincts are still currently caucusing. Well, so, hey, you know, we had that drama in 2016 with the whole Ben Carson thing. Looks like we have drama this year, too. Well, listen, to your point, when the networks called it, there was a grand total of 158 votes cast. I am not I am not sure that that constitutes a reasonable sample in order to call things one or another. They do that out of polling. They don't do it uh, because of the statistical significance of it. And as of right now, we are at 917 dealing with uh, a grand total of 3,853 votes cast uh, with 2,000 votes going to Donald Trump. He's got a 52% uh, margin over Ron DeSantis at 21.4 and Nikki Haley at 17.7. I think to your point, the idea that there are st- people still doing this yeah, so, I mean, I, I just got a call from someone saying that they are currently at a caucus site and folks are still speaking on behalf of their candidates. The, the voting hasn't even begun, and now other people are pulling up results saying, folks, Trump has this. There's no point in fighting it. Everyone get out. Like, it's very fascinating seeing how, you know, some folks are getting this information well, other folks are still currently caucusing, and now that's turned into a whole thing. Smug, do you have any idea when those caucuses that are still operating formally close? So there, I've been told that there is no formal like end time where they where they kick people out of these like school auditoriums and such. The thing is, is that some dis or some of these precincts are massive. We're ta- we're talking about like hundreds of folks. And then some of these precincts have, you know, maybe like 10, 15 people showing up. You know, the number varies very widely. Um, And it's just, I mean, from what I've been hearing, a lot of people are now upset, especially uh, with the DeSantis camp that the networks call it early and people are getting that info while they're caucusing. It's 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 gonna be fascinating to see what happens. Well, I mean, look, if there's anything the media can do, it it can fuck up a Republican caucus media is the worst. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, let me tell you, there's a lot of folks who are caucusing who are pissed off about this. You know, uh, I mean, the Trump people absolutely have to love it to be able to be in a position where they can, you know, have the network say, okay, it's a wrap folks. This is over. I think what's really important to pay attention to is listen, the second place finisher in this, it's a huge question because if it ends up, let's say, you know, a lot of the simulations folks have been talking about, if Nikki Haley takes second place, does that mean DeSantis has to drop out? If DeSantis gets second place, is that going to be the momentum that his campaign needs to kind of like, you know, have a resurgence? It's wild. It's it's, it's wild. Uh, Smug, this is absolutely terrific. Thank you so much from the ground. We hope to get you uh, live in person later on, but this audio deal was fantastic. We'll check in with you in a bit. All right.
I mean, look, dude, that's a real thing. Yeah. That's a real thing. And then he's on the ground. That's insane. Can I just read the statement here from Charlie, who he referenced here? This Charlie Spees? Yeah. Okay. And uh, he is a an attorney for the DeSantis campaign? Yeah. He okay. says- He's working for DeSantis. He was with uh, uh, Mitt Romney uh, last cycle. But yeah, go ahead. Very great attorney. This is outrageous for CNN and others to be calling Iowa caucus for Trump while majority of Iowans still voting. Basic journalistic standards have always been that don't influence voting by calling race before voting closes. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I, here, here's the thing. I would never rely on the journalistic standards of the broadcast media who feels like they have a full monopoly over what it is that they're able to say just because they have a license. I mean, ABC, NBC, CBS, all of those networks are crawling with libs. And so the only thing that you can expect out of them is what libs want. And the idea that you're going to be able to, like, issue a tweet complaining about their uh, reporting and that's going to change their reporting, I mean, I, it will well, never Well, look, do it. I mean— What are you expecting there, there, to there, do there are, otherwise? There are several different—I mean, there are an awful lot of people in this country that still rely on network news to provide news and information, regardless of their partisan affiliation. Calling this race— where it is undoubtedly suppresses some kind of turnout or, or vote total because of the net, because of the uniqueness that we heard from Ron Kaufman about the caucus system. Right. Over time. So, so you have to ask why now I think it's a little bit easier than just, they want Donald Trump to be the nominee. I think it is, they want to be first. They want, their Chiron to be as first called by X. And that's the goal right. of these network news or organizations. Right. Now, but at the difference between the Ruthless Variety program and those network news organizations is they're more concerned with their constituency within the media right. than they are with getting it right. Right. I, I just, I feel like they're playing uh, a game from two decades ago. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody, nobody's going to be like, oh, CBS said Trump won first over NBC. And, and even if they didn't, I don't even understand that how that story. goes through the executive's no, mind. No, like, oh, we cares. need to be first on, on calling this. Right. I mean, in what era? Like, okay. If people tuned into your organization, what they're tuning into is for accurate information, the best entertainment, the best uh, analysis of what's happening. Right. They they didn't turn tune in to you saying like, "Oh, it's over, and everybody should go to bed." Right. Right. They're they're watching. Here, here's the thing, fellas. You guys have seen this. I know. I know you guys have seen this. I'm confident most of our audience have seen this. The charts that have come out over the last few years showing what are the highest rated programs that have come out of broadcast media over the year. And so if you looked at it this year, the top 24 were football games. Then there's a political programming. Yeah. Then there's another 24 football games. People tune in to broadcast television for football games. 
they do not tune into broadcast television f- to in- get informed on what's happening in America. They absolutely don't anymore. And the mistake that the broadcast news divisions make when they go into meetings with their bosses is to say that, like, oh, people watch us. People care about us. They know what we, we're saying. And it's not true. People watch broadcast television because they have to to get football. They're not watching broadcast television to get news. They absolutely haven't done that for 10 years. And the idea that they're tuning in to broadcast television today to tell them that Donald Trump won, they didn't need to do that. First of all, they knew Trump was going to win before today happened. Second of all, they're tuning in to, to Twitter Thanks to Elon Musk, you're now allowed to learn that Donald Trump's able to win on on Twitter, and it's not just about like whatever the. But lid. there's a lot of but there's look there's a lot of nuance to all of this too, because as we've said, the the ultimate winner here is not the whole story; it's a springboard. Yeah. Beyond that. Yeah. And like, look, there's a statement out of the DeSantis campaign tonight. It's absolutely outrageous that the media would participate in election interference by calling the race before tens of thousands of Iowans have even had the chance to vote. The media is in the tank for Trump, and this is the most egregious example yet. That was from communications director on the DeSantis campaign, Andrew Romeo. Um, I don't have a... I mean, obviously, they're coming up in the short end of the stick here, so you get it. But his point is right in that I don't understand why you would call a race with less than 400 votes cast when you're dealing with, at a minimum, 300,000 votes cast. I I would point out a couple of things from, I mean, we talked about this like literally 20 minutes ago in Polk County. Now Nikki Haley's leading. Yeah. Over Trump. Yeah. In Lyon County, which you pointed out in the, you know, northwest of the. State. Yep. We we're talking about, you know, Cruz and all of that sort of stuff. Now DeSantis De- is back up. DeSantis is now now at forty percent in Lyon County. Yeah. And it's like there's a lot more mechanics going on in this race right now than the media cares or is interested in there, <laughs> at all. And you all you ought to pay attention. Care. I mean the reason look, care. we were we were gonna we were gonna cut this off at nine nine thirty to give you, you know, what we were gonna give you for content and you know, the results were what they were. We're going to stay on and keep doing this because of what you're not seeing on CNN and Fox and everybody everybody else. You're not seeing the nuance of this stuff. I mean, what you just said is an important... We, t- we opened the broadcast by saying, imagine an era where you're in 2016 and right. Nikki Haley is playing the role of Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz is playing the role of, of Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump is playing his own role. Let's look at those counties and imagine a 2016 and 2024 universe, knowing that there's some population changes, no question about it, but you have to imagine the margins mm-hmm. should be somewhat similar if you look at the map right now and there's only four percent in that's what you're seeing this is what you're seeing and you're seeing a hell of a lot that is not reported at all you know what's not reported at all 
all those counties that Ted Cruz won. They basically are not reporting at all yet. I mean, well, here's the thing. I mean, look, 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 just get scroll through and look at all the gray on the map that we're looking at you right now. I mean, those are all the yellow counties that Ted Cruz won in 2016. They're not up. If those counties don't go to Ron DeSantis in a big way, it is a travesty of effort by the DeSantis campaign. I mean, they put well, yeah, all of their eggs okay, in the Okay, all right, that's one, way, that's one way to look at it. The other way is we're talking about this as a fait accompli. It's done. It's a huge margin, and none of them have been counted. What if they do? If they do... Ron DeSantis, which everyone said was dead and gone, and then Nikki Haley was going to overlap him and overtake him, and he was he was done for this race. It was all ending tomorrow. If all those counties come in like they did for Ted Cruz, I don't know. Seems to me like the guy lives to lives another day. Well, I I maybe okay. I we're, mean, <laughs> we're prognosticating over four thousand one hundred. And I think that's the point. That's the point that we're trying to make here is that everyone is telling you definitively what has happened here. In reality, it is a much more nuanced thing that we're going to find out over the next hour, an hour and a half, because it's not just about Iowa. I think we're all comfortable agreeing that Donald Trump is going to win the state of Iowa. Yeah, yeah. What we're significantly uncomfortable with is both the margin and what happens to Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. There are many avenues that we can go down. I mean, look at Polk County. Polk County, we're talking about a grand total of what? 600, 700 votes that are that have been cast? Uh, in Polk County in 2016, we're talking about uh, 30,000? Right. 30,000? I mean, that's just not a, it's not statistically relevant right. for us to say what is ultimately going to happen here. Now, if it's at a precursor, and is Nikki Haley doing well? Sure. But we, don't, we just don't know. And I, I would, that is my problem with the way that elections are covered right now in American politics, is everybody wants to be first. And then they try to explain it later Mm -hmm. and they send smart people to the maps and they point on things and they give you the same thing that we're giving you right now. But ultimately it's all backfilled by the headline that they projected an hour earlier. Mm -hmm. And in this case, that may be very egregious because people are still voting. Yeah, it's, uh, it is egregious. I think, I think ultimately we have to decide in the media whether it's, uh, you know, better to be first or right. And the problem with the that that decision is sometimes being first helps you make right. You know, like. Well, you you back, you back. Right. It. You backfill it and you're like, this, this thing is over. And yeah, I mean, like, look, I, I, I have no doubt that Donald Trump's going to win tonight. But. You know, how does that impact Ron DeSantis' turnout in the rurals uh, of all these uh, caucus sites? I mean, we just heard from Smug himself that people are still trying to vote and people are telling him it's over. Yeah. It's over. Okay. Well, 
Well, I mean, well, what, that's American democracy. Is that is that what we're saying? What democracy is now? That's it, crazy. It, okay. It, well, here he, here's here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. We don't know the final outcome, and and we aren't going to know it for quite some time. However, if you look at the early returns, Donald Trump is winning big. Sure, it's he four might thousand votes. Bigly. And what I would say, friend, okay. is that. Ron DeSantis had his shot. He spent more money than Donald Trump spent. He was working in Iowa, every county, blah, 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 blah. Donald Trump fucking crushed him. He's a great governor, the greatest governor in the country right now. But Donald Trump showed up in Iowa and he absolutely annihilated but did, Ron DeSantis. Did, but did he show up in Iowa? Because I He's feel there like he, right had, now. he had 24 events. Ron DeSantis did all 99 counties. Vivek did all 99 no, no, like I, Are you sure times. DeSantis did all 99 counties? I know I know he, he yeah, did a he bunch, did. But okay. he, he did. Okay. He did a lot okay. more than Donald Trump did. Okay. I mean, look, I, I get it. This is a different primary than any primary we've had in our lifetimes because it's you know we have a former president of the united states who's running in this primary i you know i guess what i would say is most iowa caucuses reward the people that fight the hardest to win it rick santorum is a perfect example of that you know like a guy who nobody thought had a chance to actually get there Ted Cruz, you know, who won in 2016, worked his ass off to try to win that against Donald Trump. And I just feel like it's weird that Iowa is rewarding the guy who cared about the state the least. Yeah. Well, yes, it is. It's weird. It's weird, man. It's it's weird that a state that prides itself on retail politics is uh, going to nominate the the guy who had the least number of events in the state. I mean, that's a reality. I you know, but what's what's so fascinating? I'm I'm still looking at these, and and again, like at the end of the day, we're talking about at nine thirty four p.m. We're talking about four thousand six hundred and eighty votes cast. Right. I mean, this is just like an enormously small number. It is and, and, to try and, to extrapolate out, and and it looks a lot like the 2016 map, with an over-index, as we said at the beginning, of a third on top of what the Donald Trump vote is. I mean, I feel like what our hypothesis was of this case is a hundred percent true. I mean, if you look at so Hancock County, Hancock County was a Ted Cruz county. It's in the middle of the state up north towards the Minnesota border. It's one county south of the Minnesota border in Iowa. And this is a place that has just like minuscule number of votes. We're talking about less than, you know, maybe a thousand, mm-hmm. maybe a thousand votes. But I like to look at these things just because I think they're sort of interesting precursors. Donald Trump is at 66% with 30% in, mm-hmm. you know, and you look at where that was during the 2016 race, Donald Trump was at 18. Was at 18. Did, did, it's hard for me to believe that it's a place like Hancock County that he gets underneath 50%. 
And if you can extrapolate that out in all the rural counties, you're dealing with like a thousand votes right. or whatever. Right. Then I understand the call and I get why you do it, whatever. But ultimately, this thing boils down to these collar counties where we're talking about around Davenport, Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, and Sioux City. Yeah. And where those vote-rich areas go. And we don't know yet. We just don't know yet. You know, a lot of the mainstream media focuses on Donald Trump's um, they focus on the court cases. They focus on uh, what Democrats want people to focus on when it comes to Donald Trump. And where what they lose sight of is what Trump did when he was president of the United States. You talked about, and we've talked about, how many counties did these candidates go to? When it comes to deliverables Donald Trump when he was president was in all 99 counties over and over again because he cut people's taxes because he did everything he could to cut regulations he was doing the things as president that the majority of the people in each of these 99 yeah, but, counties want a president to do but, but, and look, the media look. never talks about what he delivered as president and I think that's part of the reason why they lose sight of why he's so effective as a candidate. Uh, it's fair. It's a, it's a fair point. I thought you were going to make an argument about just sort of for Donald Trump, which is not what we're doing here, but you're right. I mean, I think in the end, there's a great mystery amongst the general electorate as to how there is such a fervent base for Donald Trump. And what you just explained is exactly why. I mean, there's an enormous amount of people who, remember how it was and know how it is and they would prefer how it was under donald trump than how it is under joe biden but in counting votes here i'm looking at this and i'm saying i i don't know how we get out of this circumstance without an absolutely neck and neck situation between nikki haley and ron DeSantis for second place i mean this looks like a blood feud where they should be doing what they're doing they're doing it i mean they're gonna get into the 20s they're gonna be right next to each other what does that mean i, I mean if, I you're, if your goal is to yeah. ultimately have a real republican race here and you got donald trump at 50 and two people in the mid-20s uh, i don't know um what I would say is, and these are just projections from the New York Times on what turnout might be, but if I had to guess, it looks like turnout in some of these rural areas, I assume more impacted by snow and the weather that we've had in Iowa here over the last few days, means turnout was down in some of these locations. Right, like I mean, you look at at Lyon County that you called out earlier, Holmes. They're projecting that as twenty eight percent in, right? And that's not it's not going to be a ton of ton of votes. Yeah. And there's obviously a lot of rural areas that haven't reported it at yeah, all. Yeah. So what's the math on that? Well, just you look at a place like Polk, another place that you mentioned where Haley's currently leading thirty five to thirty four to twenty four. Haley, Trump, DeSantis. 
and it's a three percent, right? And like so, there's there's just a lot more. Votes. We just don't know what the turnout. Ultimately we don't looks know. Like. We don't know what that turnout ultimately looks. But it's a lot more raw votes in a place like Polk than there is in a place like Lyon. We just, we just don't have enough of these other votes in rural areas um, outside of the Des Moines uh, DMA to to make a definitive. And we're ultimately going to go back to smug for some on the ground stuff that yeah. we can get there. I think, look, we've been stuck at 4% for a while here and we can pontificate forever on what that means. But in the, in the interest of entertainment, yeah, I think we ought to, let's just go to smug and see what uh, he's filmed around the great state of Iowa yeah. here for a bit. Folks, this is smug coming at you live from Iowa. It's caucus day, and we're here at a beloved institution in Iowa, the Pizza Ranch. But first, we've got to cover what's going to be the main issue in this caucus, and that's the weather. It is freezing cold, folks. How cold is it? This is a glass of water. Instantly turns into ice, and this is what coffee looks like in this cold turns into vapor on contact. This cup is almost frozen already. How is that going to affect turnout? We're going to find out today. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Smug. Oh, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. I can't seen. believe we've done this today. Poor Smug. <laughs> I can't believe. So, so he's just throwing like. He's braving the elements. We sent just... him into the cold and then we humiliated him. <laughs> He's a poor guy. He's out there working hard for the Ruthless Variety program. And and that's what it came to. Yeah. That's what it came to. The water and the coffee. The water and the coffee. But he looks handsome. He does look handsome. It was a good look. I'm glad he didn't get any coffee on that coat. That's boy, right. Oh, boy. Yeah, it a, Incredible. It's a big dry cleaning bill right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's incredible. What Look at as we speak, he is working his horses inside of all campaigns to try to figure out what's going to happen. He, he, I mean, he brought to us that important information that I don't think we otherwise would have known, or nor would you, about how campaigns are sort of irked on the idea that the networks have called this thing when people are still caucusing, because margin matters, particularly in the second and third place arena. He's still working all that. We're going to come back to him with some frequency to figure out what's happening on the ground and if there's any sort of reason for optimism from any of these other campaigns. I can tell you by looking at what I'm looking at, mm -hmm. uh, Ramaswamy and the whole discussion of a huge bump doesn't seem to be coming to a fruition. Oh, no. No, I don't see Ramaswamy's name there among the <laughs> leaders. Uh, I see Ryan Binkley and then Ramaswamy right near Ryan Binkley. Um, it's just not Can we talk working. about this for a minute? Hold on, hold on. I think this is a fun aside. So we went out to the Iowa State Fair, mm -hmm. and we were planning on spending all of the time with all the presidential candidates and getting to know them and discussing things amongst the fanfare of the Iowa State Fair. And uh, Kim Reynolds, governor of Iowa, was kind enough to invite us to this side event yeah. 
that was out like kind of just off the fairgrounds. It was on the fairgrounds, but it was just kind of like off the main drag. Well, I was very glad we got that uh, invitation because we were very tired and very sweaty at that point. We were we were disgusting, <laughs> and but we decided to to go there, and immediately I saw people in like sport coats, right, and like they were all well attired. They had planned their day around this event. Yeah, we, everybody we, looked great. All we, we did was sweat. Through the entire state fair and eat like you know like deep I mean, fried I, butter. I had a tank top. Yeah, on. You, yeah, you look good though. You know, it's good look. So we roll into this event and all of the who's who mm-hmm. are there. It's Ron DeSantis and it's Nikki Haley and it's Vivek and it's who's the handsome devil over there shaking hands. <laughs> And I was like, oh, he must be a state senator or something. Yeah. We should we should go talk to him to get his take. And I and I got close enough to f- to figure out, no, this guy's a presidential candidate. And it turned out it was this Ryan Binkley cat, mm-hmm. who I I am certain that none of you listening to this right now have ever heard of this cat. Mm-hmm. But he was running a presidential campaign exclusively in the state of Iowa. Uh, seems like a a lovely individual. Yeah, lovely individual, but like I don't know. What was it a dare? Was that? it a dare? Did you lose your that's, fantasy football league? That's what. Like, dude, <laughs> honestly, I'm not kidding you. It would be a great fantasy football league loser bet to to have whoever loses has to run an electoral race <laughs> in your state as a serious candidate the next. The next year. Yeah. Because that's basically what I saw. And it was like, dude, he's a very nice guy. He seemed like he was all squared away. Uh, you know, handsome devil, as I said. But, like, what's he doing? Great question. What? I don't understand it. He's, he's doing 0.6% is what he's doing. Yeah. 251 votes so far. Yeah. And he spent his entire year traveling around the state of Iowa. It's a tough scene. Oh, my gosh. Real well, he's just Look, there's under, a mental health crisis. He, he's, yeah, <laughs> he's just he's just a shade underneath Vivek Ramaswamy, who has spent <laughs> a share of his fortune uh, running in Iowa. Poor guy. Also, I thought it was a, a pretty good bit that we had coming on today, just on our Slack chain, about how if you're uh, if you're willing to caucus for Asa Hutchinson in 11 degree weather, you're liable to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, I, I you got to be concerned about those individuals. Right. I think that, you know, if the CIA has any free time <laughs> and they haven't investigated enough, like parents at PTA meetings or anything else, like if you can find an Asa Hutchin- Hutchinson, like committed caucus voter, tonight who's like whipping whipping votes that's your that's yeah. your guy he's your guy yeah, yeah if you could extraordinarily rendition them to a black site and interrogate them and figure out like what motivated you to caucus in negative 15 degrees i would love to know <laughs> i need to know we need we need those guys on the terrorist problem well no we <laughs> we need well, they them might go- be we, the need, terrorists, we need those so. guys going after the houthis well i think it's i think it's sort of the opposite it's like i, I oh what you what, think they are houthis no <laughs> no what i'm what i'm saying is like i want to isolate the gene in that gentleman or or woman's body 
that that gene of patriotism that makes you turn out negative 15 degrees for Asa Hutchinson. And I want to figure out how we get that into every red-blooded American in this country. Because that's <laughs> that is an incredible, incredible thing to do. <laughs> I mean, all right. So uh, heading back to the results here just for a moment, fellas. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cedar Rapids situation. Yeah, what's the what's the situation there? It's gone pretty Donald Trump here lately. It's no gone surprise. pretty Donald Trump here no lately. No surprise. And friends. and they I like they like their tax cut. They like the peace. They like the prosperity. They hate Joe Biden. I think it's as simple as that. People are like, okay, Donald Trump is the Republican. Joe Biden is the Democrat. I would like something where a Republican is in charge. That is why they want Donald Trump to have another shot at being president. I think it's as simple as that. Well, you certainly make a good case for Donald Trump. Uh, I'm beginning to be concerned that you're paid on some kind of a retainer. <laughs> um, I'm not. I, I, I'm not. I, I, you know what? The only retainer is the peace and prosperity that was brought in <laughs> under the four years of Donald Trump that Biden hasn't ruined just yet. <laughs> I didn't know we had Vivek Ramaswamy on the podcast today. I mean... <laughs> I, you mean Vivek the fake? He's not MAGA. He's not... He's now turned. He's now turned. But hold on. There's a couple of counties that I want to look at here that I've got, I've got to pull up the, the, the other stuff because I feel like there are some significant sways. One of them's in at 95%. Mm-hmm. And, and this is actually worth looking at so um clinton county currently 95 percent in 69 percent donald day donald j trump um if you look at where we were at in the previous election clinton county he won it by four Mm-hmm. One up by three, essentially. Um, and you had a massive Ted Cruz presence there within four. Let me let me that, let me that that to me, I think. Look, if I'm looking at networks and how you make calls, that's one of the ways that you make a call. You look at a county that is 95 percent in, like Clinton County, which is far on the eastern side. It is a suburb. Well, it's an exurb county mm-hmm. of Davenport, mm-hmm. and you know you're talking about fifteen hundred votes, yep. nothing more, nothing less. Yep, he's at sixty nine percent today, whereas in that area he was at thirty point seven. Mm-hmm. Let me let me throw something out to you guys. Um, you know, we we we've talked a lot about. Uh, endorsements. We've talked a lot about different candidates. One of the endorsements that caught my eye over the weekend was Governor Doug Burgum, you know, friend of the program, uh, governor of of North Dakota. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I feel like we're going to, this is war room all of a sudden. (laughs) Governor Doug Burgum, who is someone we love here at the show. We do love Doug Burgum. Doug Burgum. Not just because of his leadership as a, <laughs> as a governor. 
I'm sorry. To the people who are watching, <laughs> uh, <laughs> cocktails are starting to kick in. Hold on. I've got Smug on the phone. Just one moment uh, at a perfect time. Smug, you're live on air. Excellent. Okay, so uh, we've been reporting on the controversy with the major networks calling it before caucus sites have even finished. We were making our way to DeSantis HQ, and we're going to be able to speak with the DeSantis campaign attorney. We're going to try to go live on the feed. Just want to give you folks a heads up. Oh, I love that. What kind of time are you thinking about? Um, it should be in, in the next two to three minutes. Oh, I love that. All right, Smug, you are the man. Thank you for doing the people's work on the ground that nobody else is doing. Appreciate it, sir. All righty. Okay, well, we're waiting for uh, <laughs> while, while we're waiting for Smug to put the DeSantis Give me some attorney of that pop. on the phone. Can I have some of that pop over, please? Okay, thank you. While we're waiting for Smug to put the DeSantis Someone DeSantis has to sober up around here. Is there any whiskey around here? Somebody Jesus. has to sober up. It's fellas? Just... Yeah. Fellas, okay, please. While we're waiting for Smug to put Ron DeSantis' attorney on the phone, can I please talk about the governor of North Dakota? who was sure. a candidate for president, uh-huh. we all loved, and over the weekend said that he thought Donald Trump was the best candidate to beat Joe Biden. I don't think that's something we should just like look away from. Doug Burgum is a fucking great American. He is. He is, he is. the kind of guy that you should want your sons to emulate. He built a company in North Dakota and what did he do? He kept that company in North Dakota. He did not take. He didn't take it Silicon Valley. <laughs> these guys, I can't deal with these people. I can't. I cannot deal with these people. How do you get friends like these guys? On, on, on what planet do you get friends who are going to laugh at everything you say and make everything you say a joke? Okay. No, I don't I think. Now is a good time to cut away from us <laughs> and go live to Iowa with Comfortably Smug. All right, folks, I am here with Charlie Spees, election attorney with the DeSantis campaign, and we read his tweet just uh, live on the show not too long ago. Charlie, can you tell us about this situation developing? Absolutely. There's a longstanding tradition of news organizations not reporting results while people are still voting. The reason being that it's known to depress vote. You think of the Florida panhandle back during, uh, well, in the 2000s, you think of with Jimmy Carter. That's always been their tradition. And so for the networks to claim that Trump has won while the majority of people are still voting has the impact of depressing votes for the other candidates. We're literally getting reports of people in the polling places saying, wait, does my vote count? And so exactly. We got reports. We got tweets from folks who are caucusing, saying that there's people at the caucus sites holding up the phone, saying the networks have called this for Trump. And that's just basic journalistic integrity. We did look at the Associated Press's rules and they talk about whether what the projections and how accurate they are. But they don't talk about integrity and are they suppressing the vote? And that's why you don't announce it. And that's why this is so inappropriate. Well, is it, do you think there'll be any legal ramifications from this? Could anything happen that uh, that affects the results? I think the mainstream media gets gets away with a lot, and this probably helps Donald Trump a lot, suppressing his opponents. But I don't know that the, there's a legal recourse as much as I hope they reconsider their practices. Excellent. Thank you so much, Charlie. Back to you guys in the studio. 
Listen, that's it. Charlie Spieth, an old friend of the program. We've known him for years. He's done a lot of really, really good work on the Republican side. He's represented a ton of different candidates in the Senate space, in the House space, the presidential side. One of the really smart minds that we've dealt with in terms of the legal rationale of how you actually process votes. Um, appreciate his commentary there. Guys, uh, I got to say, did not have on my bingo card smug being the most serious part of our program yeah right did yeah, not he, have that yeah he's, he's done a great yep. job he's he really done a, he's done an incredible job the man is just all over the place he's working his sources he's talking about real stuff uh meanwhile we got uh hanoi uh hannah over there wait 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 wait, wait. <laughs> i I, res I resent that i resent that President Trump is about to win in Iowa, and I understand why we need to talk Are we gonna to restart Ron this DeSantis. Engine? We understand your opinion. We got it. We got it. We got it. You you do you do have it. No, we have it because it's the winning opinion. <laughs> most I I understand that Governor DeSantis is a great clear. governor. He's got a great attorney in Charlie Speed. Charlie Speed is a very smart guy, and I think that we should include him as on as many programs as we can. President Trump is going to win. My my message to the Ron DeSantis campaign is get Charlie on the air. Say it was rigged. Have Ron DeSantis commit a felony, <laughs> and then maybe your poll numbers will go up. Oh, my God. How does that sound, Ashbrook? You know, bing, I think it's— Bing, bang, boom. Bing, bang, no, boom. I, th I, think, I think it's funny. I think it's what a lot of the DeSantis— campaign types are joking about tonight wow as they watch trump's number go up and up and up as we sit in the republican iowa caucus we have donald j trump at 52.8 percent with 39 percent of the votes mm. counted ron DeSantis at an even 20 and yep. nikki haley at 18.7 okay. uh it turns out as many as suspected, unless there's something that changes dramatically in the last 60% of these votes being counted, it is, uh, to, to, to paraphrase Denny Green, they are who we thought they were. Yeah. This is exactly what we were going to expect. Now, I think the big question is, as you look at where this goes beyond it, because Iowa is but one state. It has always served as a platform for either a springboard or elimination of other candidates. We've winnowed the field significantly, uh, more so than 2016 and years before, before we got into it. So is this a springboard? If this holds, if Ron DeSantis uh, finishes 30 points behind Donald Trump, yep. but ahead of Nikki Haley, is that enough? I think the question alone, I, I mean, guys, I, I like Ron DeSantis. He's the greatest Republican governor that we have right now. But the question, if he finishes 30 points behind Donald Trump, is that enough? That should tell us everything we need to know about this presidential primary. Duncan, what's your take on that? I actually kind of agree with Ashbrook. If I'm being quite honest with you, I think if Donald Trump is over 50 percent and Ron DeSantis is down 30 points in a state that is a caucus. Um, Sayonara. That should that should animate the most conservative voters in that state. And that's just honest truth. 
You know, and I, and I, I say that as somebody who's had a lot of positive things, I think, to say about about Ron DeSantis and his candidacy. But like, let's be honest, thirty points in Iowa in a caucus, and I've given you a lot of hard time about all the stuff that you've said, but that's not wrong. You are right. He has spent in like almost all of his war chest on Iowa. But I mean, that's that's sort of a rel- that's true, but that's also sort of irrelevant to the, the the actual like facts on the ground here, which is it is a caucus. It animates the most conservative voters. It's Iowa. Thirty points is is such a huge gap that it, it I just don't see how that works. And, and like, look, it's a long night. There's gonna be a lot more votes to come in, but this is gonna be a low turnout caucus. Yeah, and and so I, I I don't I don't see how this changes that dramatically. Well, I, I, look, I think I think there's a lot to be said about that. And you look at where things sit now. Uh, again, with less than forty percent of uh, returns in, it looks exactly like the polls that you've seen over the last three or four months. And so there's not a lot of surprises thus far. We'll see if that happens going forward. But I look. <clears throat> I think the bigger story of the Iowa caucus, as we just said, is is what what it pretends to the future. Right, this thing's not going to end tomorrow. There's less than zero chance that everybody wakes up and they're like, "Okay, Donald Trump's our nominee," because mm-hmm. you're still dealing with at the best case scenario for Donald Trump, half of the Republican electorate who's not on board with a former president earning the nomination. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And you go into to New Hampshire where Nikki Haley is over-indexed from where she is from a national standpoint. She's in the mid-30s. With the accident of Chris Christie, does that give her striking ability if she wins New Hampshire, mm-hmm. which nobody's projected, by mm-hmm. the way, but if she wins New Hampshire and sort of evens the score from a delegate count, and then goes home to South Carolina, where she was governor for mm-hmm. eight years. Uh, does that change the race? Yeah, well, there were a lot of rumors this morning that DeSantis was going to go straight to South Carolina and not care about New Hampshire. His team apparently was, like, working the reporters, saying, like, oh, he's actually going to go to New Hampshire after he goes to South Carolina. Uh can Nikki Haley cut Trump off at the pass if she wins in New Hampshire and she like sets up a mano mano race in South Carolina? It's possible. But what we've seen here tonight in Iowa is a demonstration that Donald Trump is as strong or stronger than ever in Republican primary politics. I, I just don't, I don't see, like, guys, I know that it's, you know, like we've talked about all the reasons why they called it too soon. Maybe he won by 31 instead of 37. You know, like, it's it seems inevitable that President Trump is going to win another shot at the White House. And... I just wonder, and I asked, you know, we talked on the program, we talked to La Civita about this, uh, but I just wonder, what is the moment when Ron DeSantis and some of these other candidates call it quits? 
Uh, you know, I I kind of have to just uh, agree with you again, and, and and the reason why is you look at the spreads in places like Des Moines or Cedar Rapids, and if you envisioned a mano a mano in a place like South Carolina or or Super Tuesday or wherever with somebody like Nikki Haley, you'd expect that where that would happen for somebody like that would be a place like, you know, the suburbs of major metropolitan areas. And we're not, we're just not seeing that. Yeah. I mean, she's doing better there um, than the rest of the state. And, 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 and you would expect that dichotomy to uh, benefit her in a mano a mano, but it's, it, it's, it's not enough unless like every Ron DeSantis voter went for Nikki Haley or every, if it was DeSantis, if every DeSantis you know, uh, every Haley voter went for Ron DeSantis. And I just don't see, I don't see how that happens here with that math. I just don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I have a hard time with this because I think we've scientifically whittled down to the number of outcomes of the series of three months where we've all known very specifically what's going to happen. Sure. The question was never about whether Donald Trump would win the Iowa caucuses. The question was whether or not Ron DeSantis had a performance that befitted the spend and the time that he'd spent there. Right. That was with either within striking distance or a separation between two and three. And there was a lot of polling that suggested that Nikki Haley's surge may have overtaken him. And... To that point, I think that's the only thing that matters coming out of here. That's what we don't know. Donald Trump's going to win the Iowa caucus. We've known that since the day he filed back in November of of 2022. Yeah, but what we didn't know, what we didn't know is, you know, these early states are, are places where retail politics supposedly matters. Yeah. Right? Where like you earn the vote and mm-hmm. that's how you get rewarded at the ballot box. Like I said before, Rick Santorum, who was on nobody's radar. Yeah. You know, who ended up winning the Iowa caucuses. Um, I think what we're seeing here is actually an aberration. Um, and I think that has to speak to the fact that this is a different caucus, right? Like this guy was president of the United States and rarely do you end up in a situation where a former president of the United States is is in a contested caucus in the state of Iowa, but but Iowa's typically been a state where they need to see the candidate five times, they have to shake their hands, they have to figure out what they're going to do, and then they decide if they're going to vote for him or not. And we, we we're not seeing that right now. What we're seeing is a guy who had twenty five events and flew in for the Cyhawk game is going to run away with it with half the electorate. Yeah, and that's that that is not typical of Iowa. It, it just frankly isn't. No, it's not. It's not. It also is not typical that you have a a governor the likes of Kim Reynolds, who is as right. well liked, right. right, well respected, and and honestly, not just well respected. It's different. Look, there are a lot of governors throughout the country that go around uh, cutting ribbons and kissing babies, right? Who have high approval ratings, right? Republican right. and Democrat. This is not some somebody who does that. Right. They have a higher approval rating based on what they've done. Right. And she has done very hard, contentious 
like litmus test conservative issues. And so theory was she throws her weight in there and it has an impact. I would argue. I think it did. I I, I was just going to say, I would argue it did. Yeah. Because there was a whole lot about the backsliding of the DeSantis campaign that she basically stopped. Yep. And made him a real factor here. And we saw it firsthand in our own event mm-hmm. when the entire leadership of 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 the the uh, you know the House and Senate and everybody mm-hmm. else showed up to watch Ron DeSantis yep. at our show. Um, she had that impact on them, but like ultimately, did it translate to people wanting to divorce their current wife? Right. With Donald Trump. I, and, and that's not, that has just never been the case with voters. Yeah. It's it, because you're not asking for the first time in my lifetime, in, in 40 years, you're not asking people to give their choice. Mm-hmm. You're asking them to break up with their choice. Yeah, right. It is fundamentally different. You're break. You're yeah. asking them to say, dump your boyfriend, dump your boyfriend, right? Yeah, and go in a different direction. And at this point, people say, "Well, I know what I got. I know what I got." In, in at least in terms of Iowa, so far, people said, uh, "It's not perfect, but I'm okay with it." Mm-hmm. And it's a plurality, if it's not a majority, where of people who said. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Look, I think she she has been a terrific governor in the state. I mean, she has delivered conservative uh, win after conservative win. And like I, I, I this is an area where I, I disagree with President Trump uh, in, in a big way, because I think that she is a wonderful governor. And just because Ron DeSantis is coming up short doesn't mean anything about her ability to understand what's going on with Republicans in the state or to be able to to win. I mean, she she's really really good and she you know, tr- Trump Trump is unique. Guys, we we know this and I think that people um listening to the show know that Trump is unique. There's no other Republican candidate like him. Uh Ron DeSantis is not like him, surely, but like if you look across the map at the Republicans running for Senate, running for governor, nobody else is like Trump. And so you Yeah, but like unique like Trump in what way? Like unique like Trump, like he avoided this entire primary and didn't participate in it? Because that's that's what happened. I worry you, a oh, little you're bit. Saying, you're I, saying, I, you're no. asking. You're challenging why Trump is no, no, unique. No, hold on, hold on. Let me just stop you on this because I think the point that you just made and and he made can be a larger question. What? what are, why? Are, why didn't he have are, to participate? Are in we it? in a place yeah. in politics writ large, not the Republican Party, but overall, where name ID is everything? It, is the is the like I've I've called Donald Trump the original Kardashian. He was the first person in my generation who was ever famous for being famous. Mm-hmm. He was on the radio in my local Minnesota WCCO station talking about the Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. Like that has nothing to do with the area where I grew up on, but they, they played sound bites from him. And they did a great job of making him famous. And he mm-hmm. did this, by the way. We know this because of like... Uh, everything has come out like he's right. done his own PR 
but he was incredible at making himself famous. What I worry about a lot about American culture now is you recognize the name, you recognize the grievance, and you rec- and, and you affiliate with both. And you stop paying attention to the discussion. And both of those things can be right. Mm-hmm. You can recognize and appreciate Donald Trump. You can recognize two systems of justice and what the the media has become and in, in higher education and 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 Hollywood has become and everything else. You can have problems with all of that. But it seems like people are just associating all of that with like we've got one thing because that's the name I recognize. Can I add one more thing in that though? Because I think you're right. I think you're right. But I think my complaint with Donald Trump not participating in the primary isn't related to that sort of the the tribalism of all of that sort of thing, which is true, 100% true. It's that the year 2020 happened. Year 2020 happened. It happened. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump had a fantastic presidency. Don't get me wrong. But it did happen. And I would certainly love for him to be president rather than Joe Biden, 100%. But 2020 happened. COVID happened. The riots that burned down the cities of this country happened. And I think somebody who wants to be president of the United States again owes the American people uh, an answer for for what he did right, what he did wrong. And that is part of a, a functioning democracy. And I hope he does that. He hasn't done that. He hasn't done that. Yeah, he hasn't done that. He hasn't. He hasn't participated in this primary at all. And I think that's a well. If, I, if it's not what, a mistake pal? right now, it's a mis- it's a mistake you know, for the general election. You know what, pal? I think that's an indictment on his opponents. I really do. Because if if someone was running against him that was taking it directly to his face and made him respond and made him have to answer for the things that. That he did wrong. You're not wrong. He you're not wrong. It. You're not. You're not but wrong. No, you're nobody not, did that. Nobody, no, I mean this is the criticism. You're not. You're was. not. You're not wrong. But hold on, one more thing. I will say is my son has a uh, speech deficit, and he had to wear a mask in preschool because of Donald Trump's CDC, not because of Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley's failure to prosecute the case. It was because of Donald Trump. So yes, he owes me an explanation for that, and he hasn't gone on stage to fucking do it. And that's what pisses me off about this fucking primary. Well, I think, look, I think there's an awful lot of Ron DeSantis voters. Like, you just channeled Ron DeSantis voters. Because I think that is exactly where they're at. I think, wholly aside from that, you've got a bunch of Nikki Haley voters who just want normal again. They want to not think about their government, but they want to know that they're not going to try to raise their taxes or get in their backyard and doing all kinds of different things. They just not apologize for things overseas. They don't want their politics to be front of mind when you wake up every morning. And the combination of the two is a formidable opposition, but it never shall meet in the course of this primary because you're also dealing with 50% of the country that just wants to fight. And, and that's where the Republican Party is, and that's where we're seeing in Iowa. And ultimately, that's why I land where you both have just landed in the last 30 minutes, which is it's hard to imagine this is not a Donald Trump nomination. Yeah. Yeah, right? absolutely. Because we're, we're it's enough of a difference. 
what you just said is the id of Ron DeSantis voters. Right. What you just said is they're they're not going to let go of that. They're angry about it. And but equally angry is a whole bunch of of Nikki Haley's voters who are like, Jesus Christ, is this the best we can do? Like every day I have to wake up and apologize for for somebody saying something. I don't want to think about it. I got my own life to live. I got yeah. kids to take to softball practice. I got this, that, and the other thing, and I just don't want to deal with it. And and those two were going to have to figure out how to reconcile into an ultimate Republican majority. And let me just say this. It hasn't happened yet. It didn't happen in 22. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen. So all of those people out there, the operative styles and everybody else who are telling you like, Look, the Republican Party, you go through these contentious primaries, you get through it, and then you, you know, you consolidate and, and go vote. This is going to be tougher. This is going to be tougher. We don't know how there's still contests to go, so we'll see how it plays out. This is going to be tougher than it was for many, many contests over many, many years because you're not dealing with uh, a difference of opinion, you're diffing, d- dealing with a difference of direction. Mm-hmm. within the Republican Party. And that is something that Donald Trump and his team need to deal with. They they can't just simply piss down the, the leg of everyone else and pretend like they just beat them. Yep, They're going to have to talk to these people because if you have to get the 51 in a general election, you're going to need Nikki Haley's voters. Yeah. Yep. You're going to yep. need Ron DeSantis yep. voters, and you're going to need to answer the question that you just asked. Right. You're going right. to need to do that. That's right. And that and that is, look, I am internally hopeful that all of that can come together. I think guys like Chris Lasavita are perfectly situated to do this in a more real way than we've seen in the past within the Trump organization. But it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take, we'll facilitate the conversations for all of right. you here on the Ruthless Friday program, because I think it's, I think it's really important that we're a medium for that. Cause we're speaking to all of you. We've had all of them. On. Right. Right. And, and so we had, we had some great interviews. We had Charlie Spees, who's one of the greatest Republican attorneys out there. He's, he was calling in, uh, talking to smug on the, on behalf of the, uh, uh, the DeSantis campaign. We're going to talk to Alex Bruskowitz, who is an, an ally of Trump world, and he, he is calling in. And so I, I think you fellas are going to are, are going to. Oh, is he? Like is he, is he you got him on the phone? We uh, let's see. He, he just dialed in. Let's see if we we got Alex. So here it, it, let me while you're getting him on on board. Let me just tell you. The backstory of this thing is hilarious. Okay, here we go. We got it. We got Alex. We got Alex. Alex, are you yeah. on? I'm on. If it's a little noisy, I'm sorry. Buddy, uh, what's the take? Where are you? Uh, I'm currently at the Trump Victory Party in Des Moines, Iowa, a great state that is known as Trump country. <laughs> and uh, we're having uh, quite the soiree. So here's what I love about this guy. Uh we went to war for years over a difference of opinion about all kinds of different things. And one night we uh, got a chance to just talk one-on-one, discuss things. You two also were involved in 
uh, shall we say, less than contentious way. Uh, and all of a sudden, we figured out we had more things in common than we didn't. And then, and then, lo and behold, it turns out uh, this guy. I I agree with like eighty percent of what it is that he has to say, and his his brand has been very contentious within the Republican Party. But I find him kind of a likable dude. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I appreciate it. Honestly, I, I had the uh, I had the same opinion about you guys, and uh, I've always respected you, whether we disagreed or not, and whether I'm going at you guys on if I was going at you guys on Twitter or not. I I went after you guys because I looked at you guys as uh, as equals in a way, as, as worthy opponents to spar with, and I enjoy uh, sparring online, and so we don't do that a whole lot anymore. So I have to spar with other people, but. Um, you know, you guys, you guys are worthy opponents to fight with. Uh, and, uh, I miss having Duncan in my reply section. I can be back there, pal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you're welcome. <laughs> so, but Alex, uh, look, it looks like it's going to be a big night for Donald Trump. Uh, how do you view the scene? How do you view where it goes from here? Well, look, obviously it's been a fun primary for me the last, you know, 15 months. But uh, if we're getting serious, it's time for the pretenders to drop out and rally behind President Trump. Joe Biden is celebrating $117 million cash on hand. He gets to pocket all that money right now. Uh, and we have to entertain these, you know, kind of these fools. And, you know, $250 million spent on this primary so far. And we all do the outcome from day one. Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. He's going to be the nominee. He's going to go to New Hampshire. He's going to do very well there, South Carolina. We'll wrap this thing up by March the 5th uh, at the latest. I'd like for, to avoid that. I think after tonight, the voters of Iowa uh, sent a mandate uh, and they rally behind President Trump. And so I think some folks should bow out gracefully endorse President Trump and save their chances for 2028. Well, that certainly is a perspective that uh, you've had from day one. And I, I, I got to say, whatever you think about Alex Brishwitz online, uh, when you deal with him in person, this is a thoughtful individual who actually spends time thinking about what it is that he says. He's actually a hell of a lot smarter than his critics give him credit for. And we've appreciated working with them on a whole variety of issues. Of critics. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how, that's how, Alex, that's how you know you're over the target zone. And you're also winning, by the way. Let's just not, let's not like blow past the fact that you're going to just blow the doors off your opponents tonight. And Alex, what I'd like to hear from you is, what do you, what what's next? I mean, are you what where, where is President Trump going next? Are you guys going to New Hampshire? Is it South Carolina? What's the next move here? Well, uh, he's about to give a speech here tonight, and then he's boarding his plane and he's giving a speech tomorrow in New Hampshire. And he's taking New Hampshire very seriously. He loves uh, the Granite State, and uh, it's a struggling state right now. There's a terrible fentanyl crisis that. Uh, is really hurting the people of that state, and he cares deeply about that issue. And uh, the people of New Hampshire know that he'll secure our border and end the, the flow of fentanyl coming into our country. And so he's going to go there. He's going to go to South Carolina. He's going to go to Nevada. He's going to win the first four. And then we're going to sweep Super Tuesday. Like, there's no contest. And so, I mean, the sanctimonious, uh, he put all of his eggs in Iowa. And obviously, it didn't turn out so well for them. They spent almost $100 million in this state. And so, Look, I think the governor uh, is a young guy, and he should go back to, to being the governor of Florida, where 
uh, he had a good thing going. And he decided, probably because some bad advice and some consultants who wanted to make a lot of money, uh, convinced him to run. And it just wasn't his time. And, uh, you know, maybe he can tuck his tail between his legs and try again at a different time. But he should get out now, save some money, uh, and let us focus on Joe Biden. And so uh, we have a long way to go, but he's he's prepared. Trump's prepared for the long haul. Let me pick up on that for a second, because you spent a lot of time... Uh, praising Governor DeSantis, liked his style, liked what he was doing. You've been very clear since day one that you thought this was the wrong race, and that he should not challenge President Trump. Uh, from your perspective, is this is this spilt milk, or is this a situation where uh, all can be rectified at the end of the day if... You know, everything works out the way that the polls ultimately look like they're going. And Ron DeSantis goes back and becomes governor of Florida. Are you a a Ron DeSantis guy again? Well, look, I'm not a Ron DeSantis guy, um, but uh, yes, I praised him early on when he was governor. He was doing he was doing some fine stuff. But he was a Trump ally. You know, he was doing I'm doing this. I'm a Trump ally. He's doing TV ads, you know, talking about reading his kids books about how to build the wall. And, uh, you know, he totally embraced MAGA, and then he turned against MAGA. And I felt that was wrong. I felt that was the, the wrong political decision. And, you know, this is politics. And so, uh, you know, there's, it's a crazy sport, as you guys know. People can be enemies one day and the friends next day. I mean, look at Ted, what happened with Ted Cruz and, and Donald Trump. It went from Lion Ted to Lion Ted. And, uh, you know, look, I'm not saying that could be the case for Ron, but uh, if Ron does the right thing, and sides with the voters and says, you know, Donald Trump is the guy that we want, uh, he, he will have a chance. But if he keeps this going, wastes tens of millions of more dollars, forces us to spend tens of millions of more dollars, while Joe Biden continues to, to uh, you know, pile up his war chest, I think that's wrong for the, the, the party and it's wrong for the country and it puts us in a tough spot. And I don't know if our voters will forgive him. Alex, I appreciate the phone call. Thanks for calling into Ruthless. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. I hope to see you in my, my replies, Duncan. <laughs> Take care, man. Uh, Thanks for calling you. in. Bye. Uh, look, I th- it goes to show the reach of the program, right? I mean, these are people, all people we have relationships with. We may agree or disagree on various aspects of But he, here's what I love about this guy. Mm-hmm. Here's what I love about this guy. It's like the same thing with Rand Paul. He tells you exactly where it is that he right. he is. Right, right. And like, if you're going to encroach upon that, he, he comes at you. Right. And that's good. What I hate about politics are people who pretend like they're something else. Right. And then change. Right. And by the way, there is a, every single personality that you have in your head and whether it's talk radio or whatever, that's what they are. Right. They'll look at the poll and they'll figure out how to be in front of it. That that's a guy who's not like that. And right. as much as I may disagree with him on many issues, you know where he's at and he tells you exactly where he's at. And I have to respect that. Right. You ask him a question, he gives you an answer and a real answer. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's 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 something that like we as Republicans, we have to break down the barriers. In, internally within our party where it's like, oh, this person's establishment. Oh, this person's not establishment. Oh, this person likes Rand Paul. Oh, this person likes Mitch McConnell. Like, inside of our party, 
We have to come together, and if we don't, we will not win. And do you know who will win? If Republicans don't come together, if Republicans don't fight as one, we will lose to a doddering 87-year-old moron who belongs in a nursing home. The only way in this planet, and I, I understand a lot of people don't like Trump and they don't think he should be our candidate, the only way that we lose to an idiot who doesn't belong in the White House, like Joe Biden, is if we don't come together in an effort as one to defeat him. Well, there's a lot of work to do on all sides on that. What, what, should I get into Alex's re replies now? Would you like me to no, do that? No, I, I think we should maybe give well, that a rest. I'm not, I'm not specific. He was Alex. kind enough I'm gonna to be, come on the program. I'm not going to attack him directly. All I'm saying is, yes, Joe Biden has raised a lot of money. And yes, I understand that it is very difficult when that's going on to know that you're running in a primary. But primaries exist for the voters, not for the candidates. They don't exist for Donald Trump. They don't exist for Ron DeSantis. They exist because at the end of the day, all the things that you're talking about, about yeah. how all the voters are supposed to come together and vote for the Republican nominee, yeah. this is the process. Right. This is the process. It's not a coronation. You don't just get to decide the next day that this person's the nominee, everybody stop spending your money. Nobody run the TV ads yeah. because I need to beat the other guy. That's not how the process works. Everybody needs to have a chance to have their vote tallied and feel like they made a difference. Which is the only way that you actually come to reconciliation. That. And that's what the process that's is That's it, for. dude. And that's why we do it. And that's why we, that. And that's why I think we're going to be ultimately be stronger than Democrats are. They just like didn't do an Iowa caucus. Which right. is why, right. Which is why I think that this whole process has been important. It's why I think that Trump should have been a part of the debates. I think that he should have been more present in the effort to win the nomination uh, All right. on the front end. So here, here's the deal. I think we're going to cut this one a little bit short of definitive in terms of giving you the actual results. But we do have 77% in at mm -hmm. this point. A good 20% from the last update. At this point, we have Donald Trump at 51.4. If that holds, he has done what he needs to do. Mm -hmm. in terms of expectations. Ron DeSantis is at 21, and Nikki Haley is at roughly 19% in Iowa. Um, we'll see what happens with the second and third as more things come in. We're talking about you know, things like Polk County, where it looks like Donald Trump, believe it or not, is going to win the city of Des Moines. Mm. Wow. So uh, I think we know what's going to happen I don't think there's going to be the kind of springboard effect. The big question facing tomorrow, and we'll leave people with this. Does this do enough for Ron DeSantis? And did this do enough for Nikki Haley to springboard into New Hampshire? I think it's an open question. We're going to have to hear from them in the days to come. For everybody here at the Ruthless Variety Program, including our incredibly valiant field correspondent comfortably spuck <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you for joining us this evening we love you we're all about this thank primary you. season we're going to be back each and every time good night